Ladies and gentlemen, mesdames and messieurs, welcome to a brand new Fend or Fred, the show that challenges people's priors. We have gathered a star-studded panel to answer the most pertinent question of the day. Is Elon Musk a friend or a fed? But before I introduce our guest, let me introduce, let me, let me inform our live uh, viewers. See, I'm doing this off a of script and it's, it's, it's kind of weird for me. Uh, let me inform our live viewers that you can now send us super chats, which we, will now, which, we, we, which we will read out later in the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, go to the pin link to the top of the chat and I will send you over to our Streamlabs tip page where you can make a donation and leave your comments or votes or go watch us on Rumble and donate there. Links are also in the show notes. Uh, you can watch replays of the stream over on our, over on our Substack, and while you're there, sign up for five dollars a month, fifty dollars a year, or up to a hundred dollars to become a founder, which will allow you to make uh, show topic suggestions for the live show aired weekly on Fridays at six p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, Got everybody's going to be job. sending super chats to see if you stumble over them as much as you do your own words. Do it, people. Fuck you, Tommy. Uh, <laughs> are we are we going out to BitChute and Odyssey too? No, I, I not, not Rumble, just YouTube. I've tried. I, I I don't know BitChute and I've tried BitChute and Odyssey. I don't understand. Oh well, that's right. BitChute doesn't do it, but Odyssey is actually easy. But um, yeah. So okay, well, okay. just gotta watch. Just gotta watch what we say. Introducing. Well, a we're bit. on Rumble, and our, our numbers there are matching our YouTube numbers lately. So cool. Uh, we're impressed with that. Uh, introducing our panel, we have the powerful. Pete Quinones, the tremendous Tommy Sammons, and of course my valiant co-host Mark Aaron. Uh, we are waiting for the uh, lordly LB Muniz to jump in uh, and possibly Matt Erickson. Uh, he's feeling a bit sick, so we don't know if he'll show, but if he does, fantastic. Cramps. It's all that hair. It's all that hair. It's hard to vent with all that hair. Um, <laughs> To quickly clarify our terms here, a friend is situational, but generally means an ally to humanity or a distant thought. And a Fed can either mean an obvious state actor like Sean Penn, yeah, I said it, or an active member of a deep state, uh, or, or as Matt Erickson once said, someone who does the work of the Fed without knowing it or being on the payroll. Now, the I feel the Libertarian Elon Musk, Party. Exactly, the entire <laughs> Libertarian Party. Uh, I think that's kind of what let him to make that statement you're gonna get, get us in trouble right off the bat there tommy thank you well, clint, clint, clint stay out of our mentions clint clint just likes to comment without watching the show so it's okay um so i feel like elon musk we can do his wiki page i feel like elon musk kind of doesn't need an introduction at this point uh of course he is the multi-billionaire uh creator of things like starlink uh tesla now the owner of twitter uh, and uh, has has been making the headlines uh, a little bit, and it's kind of hard to read. I think this is this is I've been wanting to do this one for a while because he's one of those figures that it's kind of he sits on the fence a lot of times in my mind of like is he isn't he is he isn't he and maybe he could be both. I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, let's start with a clip. Uh, this is Elon uh, talking about robots, and then we'll go from there. We, we basically just need to design the the uh, specialized actuators and sensors that are needed for a humanoid robot. People have no idea. This is this is going to be bigger than the car. <laughs> so let's dig into exactly that. I mean, in one way, it's actually an easier problem than full self driving because you instead of an object going along at <clears throat> sixty miles an hour, which yeah. if it gets it wrong, well, someone will die. This is an object that's engineered to only go at, what three or four or five miles yeah, an hour. Walking speed, basically. And so a mistake 
isn't there aren't lives at stake there might be embarrassment yeah. at stake as long as the ai doesn't take it over and uh, you know, uh <laughs> right and now sleep or something right um <laughs> uh so then we it's comforting it's yeah a little comforting well, it's honest i mean at least he's honest you know i mean i, ha I have a robot i have a roomba like yeah so do i i, I don't of course same thing you know you know what the ro you know what the real so robot do I, it's called the wife Oh jeez! Oh, I didn't say dishwasher. Uh, so the 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 thing about the robot is, I think I think the people are the robots. I mean, you've looked at look at how far propaganda has come since MK Ultra, since Bernays, and and where we are today, and how people are constantly programmed to act a certain way. John Robb calls it the network. And, I, you know, along with Neuralink and all this transhumanism, I think the people are the are the robots that we've been warned about our all our lives. Definitely well, Charles, an argument there. Charles Haywood, um, he's of the belief that all of this is a, a farce. Um, all the AI, all the advanced robotics. Um, I remember there's a movie called Tucker, A Man in His Dream. I think it was Jeff Bridges playing. Um, so the guy who came out with the the Tucker car that the the big three shut down in the 40s. And there was this one scene where he goes and he meets Howard Hughes and they meet in this hangar and there's this plane that's the size of a friggin' I mean, like four or five Goodyear blimps. And he, he Tucker looks at him and goes, is how is this going to get off the how is this going to get off the ground? He goes it and, and Howard Hughes says, doesn't have to. He goes, all, it all I have to do is have the intention of getting it off the ground, and then the money flows in. People, people have the idea that, oh, this sounds, it sounds incredible. If this is the future, I'm going to put money into it. I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to get back a thousandfold, a millionfold. And that's not, I, I think that a lot of what we're hearing about AI and a lot of what we're hearing about robotics and a lot of what we're hearing about space is all bullshit and it's all okay. to funnel money. There's lots of food for thought here, and I'm like, I am for, firmly in this camp. Uh, I know this is where Tommy and I sometimes diverge a little bit. Uh, I've been on record with the show, uh, recently uh, a little bit um I, I don't know like i guess i would have to hear your opinion on this because i don't i don't know if i even have a strong opinion on stuff like this okay well i mean i mean i'm not i'm not even saying that we're we're, we're in conflict it's just that uh and not to call you out specifically but just in no, general, you just I think did. let's go buddy <laughs> oh, the raging cajun the tommy salmons god damn it I just... we're 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 also doing orthodox lens so things could get spicy folks because i've I've, oh, I've got shit. lent brain and tommy's obviously got like lent <laughs> lent spice um uh you know but here's the, here, here's where i think we're, we're we we diverge a little bit is that i'm on record saying we make these things real uh and the lb Muniz is coming into the chat here um and that's and the, just to build on what you're saying, Pete, is that that's the missing that, that's that's the, the almost the missing uh, portion, right? Is that we they sell us an idea, they give us an incomplete pro, uh, uh, product, like almost like it's like um, a, you know the the wish version of AI, and then we make it real by by filling in the blanks and saying, oh well, you know the eyes are everywhere, and you know these things are happening. It's like, well, are they though? Really? Like people's behavior changes as soon as they know there's a camera in the room. Yeah. Uh, 
it's I think what they're trying to do in some ways is create a uh, technocrat culture that is self-enforcing because the most the only thing the most uh, the, the panopticon right there's nobody in the tower exactly mm-hmm. exactly right have someone in the tower for a little bit and then remove them and, and there then, is no spoon there is no spoon exactly mm-hmm. I think we're closer to that and the a constant thing I I feel about Elon is that I think he might be the world's best salesman uh, in the world Mm -hmm. because he can sell you a product, right? And never deliver. And it's always that temptation, that little like, you know, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like nuclear war. He's Howard Hughes. I mean, he's Howard Hughes. He literally is Howard Hughes who would sell you something that didn't exist, never was going to exist. He just had the intention of making it exist. And he took all the money. Yeah. Where's my DeLorean truck? (laughs) <laughs> See, I look at I look at Elon more from a geopolitical standpoint, though. Uh, I don't necessarily look at Elon from from the entrepreneurial or the uh, technology standpoint. I look at him from a geopolitical standpoint. The, one of the things that blew my mind is when Beatrix and I first started dating was we were talking about whether or not I was moving to South Africa or she was going to move here to America. You guys and made an awesome decision. Barely. By about 10 years. (laughs) So, um, and, and, and what it boiled down to was like everything I know how to do, because I know how to work with my hands. So I know carpentry, I know construction, I know truck driving, all those industries in South Africa are run by China. That's all China coming in and, and, and taking care of the infrastructure. So when I see like uh, Elon's, business dealings with china not like by hunter biden's business dealings this is something completely different when i see how elon operates within china and it to me it parallels the way that that china operates in south africa and so what i'm seeing and why i think that there's such um such divergence between kind of the u.s government and and elon and the and the and the the former Twitter sphere and what Elon has done with Twitter nowadays is because I think what we're seeing, and I've said this a lot of times, Jason and I have had this conversation a couple of times, you're seeing an old guard and a new guard, right? So you're seeing China is more on the commerce end of, of imperialism, whereas the U S is still grabbing on and, and, and holding on to this militant, this militarist kind of style of imperialism. And I think there's this, this kind of tide, this change of tide, this tide turning where it's going to be more, more impact is going to be coming from the commerce sphere and Elon's aware of that. And so that's what he's driving towards. I mean, with is is that sort of? I mean, I don't have don't know how familiar you guys are with. Uh, so basically, what I'm saying talk. is, Elon is neither a friend or Fed. He's tomorrow's Fed. Right. Yeah. He's he's setting up the framework, and this this dovetails into um, X.com, which is apparently why he purchased Twitter. I was trying to find clips from. There was a, a summit for an investment firm called Baron Capital that he attended about a year ago and he was going over their future investments, including Twitter. And he was talking about obviously that really doesn't care about free speech. It's a way of onboarding people, creating the illusion that it's going to be a safe place and then setting up payment systems so it can take out, uh, you know, um, 
uh, PayPal and basically be the WeChat, everything all in one place, tracking who knows what. And that could, you know, if you want to compile commerce into that as well, this is going to be, he's setting up a, a crazy framework for dominance in every sphere. So, mm. yeah, you could be on something, Tommy. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, I think, I mean, honestly, I, a lot of people, at least from our lens, tend to focus on Yuval Noah Harari, but I don't see Elon as much different, except that he just happens to want to go in a different direction. And and he he wants to incorporate the technocracy from a different angle. I've, I've said it several times before. He happens to be against all the things that I'm against. So mm. at the moment, I, I consider him an ally, but tomorrow that could change because I understand that he's not, we're not thinking the same level. You know, Prometheus introduced fire to the, to the population of humanity, but Prometheus was still a Titan. He was never human. And you, you still have to interact with these people as elites, even if they aren't, you know, all on the same page. And there are little, factions within the elite sphere where they're fighting back and forth and because there will always be the elites over us we have to kind of pick and choose where we put our allegiance and when and how we do it mm -hmm. lb muniz the lordly lb muniz thank you. welcome to the stream sir About thank time. you yeah sorry for being late i uh i learned what the definition of insanity was today um but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about elon musk LB, you're not coming. LB, you're not coming through your microphone. Yeah. Um, great. Well, good. Good to yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let's so, play another clip. Hang on, let's let's go with another clip here. Uh, this is Elon Musk talking about philanthropy. Elon Musk, great to see you. How are you? Uh, good. How are you? I mean, we're here at the One, Texas. Two. Gigafactory the day before this thing opens. It's been pretty crazy out there. Thank you so much for making time. Hey, welcome. Busy day. I would love you to help us kind of cast our minds uh, uh, 10, the right clip. 30, maybe 30 years into the future. And is it? no, it's it's that's the whole interview. Oh, is it really? Okay, hang on. Let's go to Age of Abundance. It, Can y'all hear me now? Yeah, you, yeah, you sound better now. Definitely a lot clearer. Yep, yep. Um, okay, let's try this. Unfortunately, we can hear philanthropy you. Philanthropy is, is a topic that some people go to. Philanthropy is a hard topic. Like, how how do you think about that? Um, I, I think if you, if you care about the reality of goodness instead of the perception of it, philanthropy is extremely difficult. Um, SpaceX, Tesla, Neuralink, Boring Company are philanthropy. If you say philanthropy is love of humanity, um, they are philanthropy. There, Tesla is accelerating sustainable energy. This is a love of, of full anthropy. Right. Uh, SpaceX is trying to ensure the long-term survival of humanity with multi-planet species. This is love of humanity. Um, you know, Neuralink is, is to help solve uh, brain injuries and uh, existential risk with AI, love of humanity. Boring Company is trying to solve traffic, which is health for most people and uh, that also it is like right. um so can i can i just say nothing drives me crazier than when people do that on podcasts or in interviews is is they they stop and they're like 
yes, this is a, 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 a multi-syllabic word. So let me break down each syllable and, and really emphasize each meaning of each syllable. It's like, dude, just stop, man. As an, as an Orthodox Christian, Tommy, as an Orthodox Christian, Tommy, as an Orthodox Christian, you be getting used to this shit, though. No, 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 no. That's Orthodox. Like, get it right. Read, read <laughs> from read the Greek. George, read George Orwell's very short essay, Politics in the English Language. He oh, dude, I talk about, about that all the time. I it's just, it. it's, it, it talks about how people, it talks about the nothing words or um, what did, um, what does academic agents say it? Thought terminating cliches. Mm. How people just use thought terminating cliches. And it's like, and the press does that all the time. Journalists do that all the time. You're reading something and it's just like, oh, okay, I'm, fuck you. I'm done here. You know, and I'm, I'm noticing yeah. it. I'm, maybe it's just me, Pete, but I'm noticing more and more from our ilk, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I mean, and even Orwell talks about in that essay, at the end of the essay, he goes, I'm complaining about all this. And I've used the, the, these devices in writing this essay. Because mm. it's become so ingrained in us. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I do it in my writing, too. It's awful. One of the things I want to do is um, I'm going to take I'm going to take politics in the English language and uh, propaganda. And I want to do one podcast combining them and say, showing how they con- compare and contrast to each other and and where these ideas came from oh. and, the, and the way that it the way that it formed the way we communicate with each other. Well, Semi Agog and I tried to do that last night. I recorded with him, and it, as it does with me and him, we went off on so many tangents that it's like we only really got to talk about politics in the English and Bernays a little bit, where because then we started going off on uh, hallmarks and visual, you know, um, mm-hmm. ways we could use visual, um, you know, marks, anything to. You know, as propaganda, as and then it's just, yeah, I mean, you get them at it, it's it's our sphere. How <laughs> fucked up are we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was talking to Jay Dyer about possibly doing that show, that podcast, and, and like yeah. digging into that stuff. Yeah. Sorry, guys, I, I'll take yeah. over your podcast if you. Don't yeah, know. we'll just kind of go our own direction. <laughs> no, no. Here's, here's 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 the thing. Here's here's the concept of friend or fed. We come in with a premise. We come in with it with a subject. We talk with the subject until we don't, and then we go off into do whatever we want to do. Uh, as the six hour, as a five hour Dave, Dave Smith or the six hour, um, was it? Uh, I think it was Matt Walsh. Uh, episode will will confirm. Uh, this is just a launching pad for 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 bigger and better discussions because we can. I mean, because Elon is finite. You know, uh, no offense to Elon Musk, but. There's only so many so many things we can talk about Elon. We can get we can get get into the minutia of his past and try to comb through and search for things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm more into the meta ideas surrounding Elon because Elon has now become an idea. It's no longer just a man uh, or an, an, an entity in, in in the world. It's like you have to kind of deal with with the idea of Elon. And when someone says it, he's a brand onto himself. So when you when you mention the word, suddenly you you download all these ideas associated with Elon, and that's kind of the point of the show is to is to examine our priors. Yeah. Do what are our prior associations with that word, and are we making the right? You know, w- w- you know. Let's let's get in. Let's get into that minutia and see like what are those connections? What is that relationship to the word Elon Musk? Um, because it's not just a man anymore. Sorry, LB, uh, test your mic. Uh, yes, hopefully we're using. Oh, the right look at that! Now, yeah, look at that. 
when I can, can I just do a sound check. Just, just, be, just before you get into it, LB, uh, I just want to say thank you again publicly uh, for the friendorfed.com uh, website uh, that you set up for us completely out of the blue uh, and uh, all the promo work you've been doing for the show this week. Uh, it's honestly, man, uh, it touched me. It, it, got, it got me in the feels yesterday because <laughs> I've been having I, a hard week. I've been having a hard spiritual week and uh, and something about that was just like that generosity just kind of like it, it really hit me. Uh, I, so I, I mean, I said it when you guys had me on, I thoroughly enjoy this series. I think it's a great, I think it's a very unique concept. It's very fun. And, um, and it allows for some great conversations that I've had and you guys do a lot of work. So I just bought the domain, used some tools that I already had. And now we have friendorfed.com forever for the next one and the next one and the next one. So, um, and I like buying domains. It's fun. It's <laughs> it's like a quick little thing, and then suddenly you can actually send people somewhere. So let me just catch up since I, I jumped on a little bit late. Um, I want to, uh, and you guys actually were kind of alluding to some of the points that I was going to make. Um, on the one hand, is is understanding that Elon is part of the elite class, and so we're and in that there is an elite class, we kind of have to we kind of have to choose from a lot of bad people, potentially, right? Um, we don't really think of our we don't really think of the current crop of elites as being the best that we have uh, that, that humanity has to offer. The second point is the symbolism on, and like the idea of a brand unto itself. And while, yes, Elon Musk is perceived as a salesman, he is a good salesman. Um, he is a good salesman. He uh, certainly does a good job of that. I, I watched the um, like his grant. What does he call it? Like his grand plan, grand vision. Um, I've got it pulled up right here. But basically, their big Tesla talk is just a big sale. This whole idea of a sustainable energy future is just a sales pitch, right? Um, by and large, and he's using all sorts of sales tactics within it. But what does Elon Musk call himself? Elon Musk calls himself an engineer. He says most of what he does every day is engineering. And I think there's a problem. And I've talked about this, and I've talked about this in a few different places. I think there's a problem with the uh, technological upset of putting engineers at the top of the of the social hierarchy mm -hmm. that and 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 that breaks out into a couple of different places one engineers are all about inputs and outputs and two, uh, i guess maybe three so one engineers are about inputs and outputs two that means that they're going to be able to design solutions whether or not and, and oftentimes whether or not they have uh real world application you know i think uh, i mean tommy Jason, I feel like both of you guys uh, would understand this and in, uh, in, in your line of work of like in maintenance and repair and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes some engineer drew something on a on a computer that he says is going to change everything. And it and I, I come across this in my line of work, too. And it's a mess uh, when you actually try to put something into application. The third thing, though, is that it's all it's all about solution or it's all about being solution oriented and engineering doesn't have a moral basis. There's no morality at the center of it. And because of that and because of the world that we, you know, the world that Elon grew up in and the world that we all grew up in, I think that's one of the reasons why Silicon Valley was so ripe for uh, with the combination of transhumanism, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But I think that's why Silicon Valley was so ripe for capture. Right. I've said the story. I said I think I said it on Tommy's show where I was like, you know, it goes something like this. You know, they were the bullies. They were the kids getting bullied in high school. They just worked, they, you know, they worked, they got a lot of, uh, they got a lot of money and they said, well, what should I do with this money? And somebody who says that they're a diversity, equity and inclusion specialist says, well, I know how you should spend this money, mm -hmm. you white, you white filth, right? It's yeah. like that, that is, and I think it's, I, I think it can be that simple and we can make, we're certainly going to try our best to make it more complicated in the course of this conversation. So I think um, what's fun about examining the priors, I would say 
briefly is that I've always been, you know, a general fan of Elon. And I had to really take a hard look at what he was talking about in terms of sustainability and his approach for AI and his um, and, and his support for AI and, you know, the trans the idea of neural interface and those things give me extreme pause. So looking forward to the rest of the conversation. Can I uh, I want to ask LB a question, if y'all don't mind. Um, what do you make of from from what I've seen and and just a little bit of research I've done on Nikola Tesla, um, his his goal was to make electricity free uh, and easy for the population by using these these towers that he had made that that shoot out like the uh, electric kind of fields that you can like yeah the death plug rays. plug into death mm-hmm. rays with those you freaking marjorie taylor green over here um they call so, them. He, he did it's not my turn, not my turn. He, he didn't talk about juice <laughs> juice did somebody say glowy juice? glowy glowy but, um, juice what do, what do you make what do you make of the the i don't know the symbolism that of him taking the name tesla and utilizing that for his brand i think i do think there is one thing he has that a lot of the other people in the ai space and in the sustainable industry space and this is this is to his credit is i do at least i could be wrong of course but he he at least signals a pro-human approach like he doesn't want to he doesn't want a sustainable future because humanity is so evil. He talks about a sustainable future being possible because at least from what I've listened to, um, he talks about a sustainable future being possible because it's what it's what we need to do for humanity. Um, mm-hmm. the, his, his concept of going to Mars, at least and how he talks about it, is uh, is that, you know, he's, his whole it, the, the idea is making humanity multiplanetary. Right. The reason for that is the continuation of the species. He he prefers a future in which humanity survives, and I don't think you can say the same thing about most environmentalism. Um, so, which, I think yeah, he just, used the name Tesla because he really liked the band. <laughs> well, and he invested. I mean, yeah, that's why I would have done it. And he also kind of invested in a brand. You know, he also invested in something that already existed, right? So it was so some of that to the I, I don't know the extent I haven't I didn't research too much into that so I can't answer affirmatively I think there is he he talks but but to the ethic of democratization you know in terms of like making it accessible to many people not in terms of democracy per se um I do think that fits in a little bit with Tesla and I'll just add the historical note it is you know like but what but who actually won Tesla didn't win the 20th century mm. right um, Edison did. Yeah. Edison did. Mm-hmm. Edison yeah. did. The, the corporate, the progressive corporate edifice won the 20th century. Uh, and so we should, you know, and Tesla was considered a madman until very, until basically the, the advent of the internet where you could actually look at his stuff. And, you know, he still probably went a little mad. But I think Pete won the night because there's a significant portion of the people listening that are going to be seeing signs for the next three days. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so I think that is, I think that is the the enigma with with you know Elon is that he, if you scratch the surface behind any of his endeavors, he gets moved up. He, he gets moved up. He's <laughs> <laughs> gonna turn it. Oh man, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, uh, um, you know what I mean. So if you look into if you look into Teslas, that they're not green. Um, 
they blow Neuralink, up. They who blow knows? Up get, SpaceX doesn't gets, go to space. Right? Well, in that gets, in that interview, them, they blow up. Yeah. In that yeah. interview, he seems to contradict himself because he's like, "Oh, well, Tesla is doing this energy for the, you know, for saving the, saving the planet." And then he says, "Well, we need SpaceX. So we can get the fuck off the planet." So we can, <laughs> well, exactly. t- t- well, which one? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Is there's this enigma where he's kind of there's always the two sides to his opinion and his projects, but the one like. Okay, if you don't look too deep and you just take it on the veneer, it's this pro-innovation, pro-humanity. We will achieve and and get to a better place through work and through this, which is a very sort of capitalistic, anti-communistic approach of we can do this. Let's let's build. Let's grow. Let's let's bring out the best in people. And that's I think what appeals to people like myself. For that's very much like okay, yeah, I'm on, I'm on board with let's go kick ass instead of complaining and tearing things down. Let's build something great. He does, well, you know, they get. Very, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say he comes across very anti-Malthusian. He has talked mm-hmm. about that we that we're not overpopulated, that we need more humans. So there is this kind of anti-Malthusian kind of undertone to to Elon. Yeah, and but I, is I, that I would, a pitch, or do you think that's authentic? Who knows? Is I, there any way to know? You that? can't. Uh, that's one thing that that I always have an issue with is applying intent to anybody. It's really hard, man. Mm-hmm. It's really I difficult because you could believe it, right? I think yeah. for the con. For, I think for the contents of this discussion, anyways, what I've been, what I tr- tend to do with this is just I accept everything they're saying on the face on face value, unless there's like an unless you catch them out on the lie. Um, uh, you yeah. know, I think it's easier to deal with them as honest agents. Like the, this is exactly what they think and deal with it on that level. If you start getting into like the, well, what if like you, you can, you can drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have an inside knowledge of, of Elon brain, uh, of Elon's mind yet. You know, maybe you listen to the dude talk. <laughs> I don't know up. if I want to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> Just ones and zeros coming flying by your head. Um, if he does, if he is talking about, you know, saving humanity doing everything he can for humanity you know one thing that we do know about him is the guy is constantly working and the you know they got a lot of just just to build on the pete yeah even if he's just a salesman he's a fucking great salesman like Mm -hmm. that 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 motherfucker puts in work sorry mark mom okay go ahead but people people i mean there was a certain group that got crap for the phrase arbite mock fry work will set you free but right I mean, Solomon agreed with intent. It's true. I mean, who's out there working? Who's out there? If if the people who think that technology is going to set us free, I don't know if that's true or not. But they they're out there working. They're out there trying to increase technology. If people think that culture is going to set us free, then people should be out there working to um, improve the culture. However, that whatever that may look like. But mm-hmm. or if you're not working towards something and, you know, you're just I used to be one of these people who talked about it on Twitter, just talked about it on Twitter and talked about it on Facebook and yada, yada, talked about it on my podcast. Now I'm actually going out there and I'm actually doing stuff with my hands. And I'm seeing the fact once I started doing that, I'm like, I don't really even care. I mean, yeah, the, the federal government's dangerous and everything, but. Yeah, most of the people I know, it's not, they're not even touching them. You know, the towns I go to, people aren't talking. You get in a conversation with people, they're not talking about the federal government. They're talking about what church potluck they went to on Sunday. You know, so, yeah. The other thing that Dang helps, it. and I've been having the same kind of journey going, uh, working 
workings maintenance here in Australia is that, yeah, exactly the same thing. When you start talking to people who are outside of this, they have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And they actually have the, the reaction like, what, what are you talking about and why are you talking about it? Yeah. Why, why are you concerned about this? The other thing that, I, that I've, I've been learning here is that the, the, the high level of competency required to run even a small homestead like what we're doing at uh, at our nature's uh, daycare is like we're we have a market garden that kind of thing. The level of competency you need to just build that, which is not like uh, going to feed a village. It's going to you know maybe feed a, the the center and and a bit of the community is insane. Like mm-hmm. it, it. So when I look at all of these plans that they're putting forward, the fifteen minute cities, the this, the that, the the other thing, and knowing how how a bureaucracy works. And B, how how bad uh, human competency has gotten, especially in urban areas. Areas, I'm not worried. I'm I'm more like it'll suck for a period of time. It might even suck for the rest of my life. That we can even go that far, right? Uh, but my kids are going to be fine because this this shit is going to is going to. But yeah, it's the, uh, it's the Lysenkoism that I'm scared of. It, it's what them. I it's what I keep saying. It's it's going to eventually. It's going to be the Ouroboros. It's going to eat itself. The problem is what we have to be aware of is how many people are going to get hurt in the process, mm, right? And I keep saying yeah. this. I've said this on several podcasts, and that's what we have to be aware of. And and with the 15-minute cities, you have to realize that it's not the, the crawling into the cities. Like our mindset, like our generation and, and where we are, our mindset is like, well, if they corral us into a city, we can leave. It's the fact that you're not going to be able to leave because of the geofencing model. You're going to be so addicted to the the technology that you use daily that if when you pass that mile marker where everything shuts down, your car shuts down, your bank account shuts down, your phone shuts down, everything shuts down and you're completely cut off from the way you've lived your life for the last 15, 20 years then you're going to, that's going to separate the wheat from the chaff because there are going to be a lot of people that hit that limit and that geofencing shuts off their entire being and they're going to turn around and go back. And they're going to say, okay, the only way I can survive is to stay here and just deal with it. Whereas it's going to be those really hard, like those hard men. There's no other way to say it. Those hard men they're going to fight through that and say, nope, we're not doing that. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm getting outside of this perimeter and I'm going to set up my location somewhere outside of that and do it my way. Yeah, which is interesting if you look at sort of the, the symbiosis of all of Elon's projects. They're all very convenient for a control network. Mm. So the card that you can't start without permission being linked up the, the internet well, that that's that's universally controlled i mean imagine if everybody goes to uh, uh what's it called skynet what's his uh the space internet yeah skynet um right neuralink ne- yeah these are so even even if you take him on his word that his his motivations are are uh silence i'll be not speaking. evil like the, the, even even <laughs> even if you like if you want to say okay this is like the, the a manhattan project level could could have terrible outcomes the the danger is there with all of these initiatives so is he a good salesman even if his even if he believes it and his intent is good and it's pro humanitarian you're still setting up something that's so dangerous if if the adoption rate is over 50% that we 
this is a global you don't even you don't even need geofencing it'll be all encompassing well and that person's right it's starlink night skynet skynet is from yeah, terminator right. my bad yeah, so, so i was smart. agreeing with you i was like yes we're all gonna <laughs> die terminator judgment day it's coming um what i what i would the way i would look at it is um that you're you they're going to sell this this geofencing to you and and i i've done a few shows here recently about how they incorporated the geofencing and that's like a really kind of intricate like conversation on getting into that but they're going to sell it to you the same way they sold the berlin wall to to the soviets it's to keep the bad guys out it's to keep you safe right and then they're going to, then they're going to, well, we have to keep you in for your own safety. Right. Yeah, so you can't, do. you can't enter this perimeter without the, without these artifices to get in. Now, if you leave it, everything shuts down. Right. But it's going to be a process. They're not going to do it overnight. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. Look at what they just did to us for our own safety. Exactly. Well, but also, you know, to, to, to put, to play the skeptic as I'm, as I'm want to do, but look at what they weren't able to do as well. I mean, they were able to change, they were able to push people far, but I think only so much. And I think, um, Dude, you know, they that, were that... arresting preachers for holding church. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I just they mean did, to say we all, a lot of people were predicting things to, people. right. Yeah. Well, again, I said, like I said, I'm just, just to push back. A I know, I, I know, is, but it is to say like, we were all thinking, I mean, I was somebody who was seriously worried. I was going to have to change my, the way I make my livelihood because of the introduction of vex uh, of passports well, my mom uh, of, of internal passports. And I can report to you that I, that it's still relative, you know, in international, something different, but at least within the United States, it's still, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's still the way it was as far as going between places. Now, there are certain no-go zones, as it were, but like those were places I wasn't particularly interested in living in before before 2020 either. Well, but, um, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Between at, at the borders of Louisiana and Texas, they had police checkpoints, and you could not enter the state of Texas from the state of Louisiana without going through that checkpoint and being tested, unless you were a truck driver. That's ironic because I literally never saw that in the Midwest, and I okay. was driving. I was yeah, they driving only they, they, they did it. I mean, they did it. it Louisiana. They did it. Louisiana to Texas, and they also did it. Um, Florida had set it up that they weren't going to let people in from New York at one point. Hmm. And then, and then my mom is one of those people that did lose her job. She lost a six figure a year job because she refused to get vaccinated, hmm. and she took a thirty thousand dollar a year pay cut going to another company because she refused to get vaccinated the things that they did in that period of time that people backed them up on and were willing to go along with and it was the vast minority of people that were willing to stand up and say no we're not doing that you see what i'm saying right yeah, so my, my position isn't that they didn't try a lot my position was more like they weren't able to get it across the finish yeah line. but it, but it's like it's like higgs it's, little, it's but it's like higgs talks about it's the ratchet effect yeah. two steps forward one step well, back like my, it, it's it, they never went it never got back to where it was right that's been my contention since day one i said they're gonna back off this is the beta run this is a this is just to see if what the compliance rates are going to be and get a bit of the framework in place then they'll and now back they're off painting now they're painting some other viruses being the 
worst thing since Ebola. And, you know, they're talking about climate lockdowns and they're, you look at what's going on in the Netherlands, you look at what's going on in France with the protests and, and the way that those people are being treated. It's only a matter of time before it hits Canada and the U S yeah, we'll see. I'm a bit encouraged that there was such a pushback and they had, they did sort of seed the ground, try to do it again with monkey pox and BB eight and whatever the other crap was. And it didn't fly at all. So I like the fact that there's been that groundswell of opposition of like, no, don't even try this. Or we're going to the, even though we're the small minority, we're the productive class. Right. The, the truckers in Canada really showed that. It's like, okay, well, how about no food? Yeah. And well, next they, time we're going to surround don't have, A lot of those truckers still don't have bank accounts. Yeah. I, I'm not saying there aren't victims in this, in, in this ideological war. I'm just, I was trying to point out some of the bright But let me finish the point too, which is to say like, it is the productive class. And I think what, we, what, the point a point I've been making recently is that the, the left is united in movement. The right is only united in opposition. And mm-hmm. so the question is, how do you well, say, unite? Say that, say that the, again. I'm sorry. The, the left is united in movement. Everybody's down for the cause. The okay. right is only united in terms of opposition, which is to mm-hmm. say, I don't want to go that way. Mm-hmm. And we and mm-hmm. we and there's a lot of people that have just been living high off the hog for a lot of years, basically playing the conservative game of, well, can you believe the Democrats did this again? I'm going to, I'm going to keep the focus more to the U S just cause that's, that just tends to be how I talk. But, right. but my point here is then, so then, so then there is, so that is the question is how do you, as it were, unite these disparate factions of people into some sort of coalescent movement. Right. And that's mm-hmm. real. That's really the task at hand when we're taught, when you're talking about creating some sort of meaningful opposition to the current power structure, Here's the problem that requires a lot of people with resources who are very comfortable having those resources to put themselves in a position against against what people want. Well, perfect opportunity for me to bring it back full circle. This is one of the reasons I was really encouraged when something that didn't fit my my hesitancy, my skepticism about Mr. Musk was when he picked up Twitter and did seem to some degree to open it up to these conversations, right? When you're putting back Robert Malone, uh, the names escape me right now, but a lot of people who were kicked off, silenced, who were 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 pushing the counter narrative. What 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 advantage does that serve the powers that be for him to give those people back their voice, unless he is actually pushing against that movement to some degree so the you know like there there is definitely some type of conflict between him and the elite power structure where it where it breaks down i, I don't know exactly but here's something up uh up tommy's uh, uh, uh alley is uh he's called he's this is uh elon musk tw- tweet the s and esg stands for satanic uh, <laughs> so that elon tweeted that yeah, he's been going against ESG. Yeah, he, like, how he, many he, things he, can he get right and still be? That's what I'm saying. Like, my my well, biggest fear is that maybe there's just it's it's his subconscious that's well, setting well, up. Well, here's this. the thing. Here's the thing. Elon's been against ESG, and one of the problems he has with ESG is that Exxon Mobil has a higher ESG score than Tesla. Right. All right, and but it's because Exxon Mobil is more in line with the social governance. I mean, the corporate governance and the social justice. Yeah. Right. Elon is is only focus on the environment so they're doing so exxon mobile is doing more for the social movements 
than Elon considers. He's against those social movements. He's see the problem. The problem that people don't understand is Elon Musk is from the Peter Thiel school. So he's so you got like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Vivek Ramaswamy. You have these types coming out of that same thought process. They're trying to set up a parallel system in which they can or incorporate the environmental but not incorporate the social justice and the corporate governance, right? And so they're against the the transing of children. They're against all that stuff, but they're not against the green movement. And this is why I say that they, they are t- allies today, but tomorrow they could be our enemies, mm-hmm. right? Because all this stuff, the 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 vaccine mandates all of these things they fall up under the the corporate governance and the social justice agenda portion of it those are the things that elon vivek and peter Thiel are against and they're talking about creating this they're talking about creating this parallel system this parallel economy to run alongside and even uh vivek has started that with strive and and his his business ventures, and they are against technically against ESG, but they're not against the environmental side of ESG. They're against the social justice, the corporate governance side of ESG. But just a devil's advocate, that thought, I have no problem with people being pro-environmental if it wasn't a, a house of cards. Well, is it wrong to care about the environment? Well, no, day? obviously I, t- I care about the environment. I have nine acres I'm trying to take care of and I'm, I'm caring about the environment in my own, my own way. They're, they're caring about the environment is very Malthusian, right? It's very much, um, and not Elon necessarily, but the, the general concept, if you look at like the green new deal, all they're doing is incorporating the all these ideas from the green new deal and they're doing it piece by piece yeah I mean, and they're, they're not they're not they're, they're trying to they're trying to limit it's little bit at a time so we you, you get your smart meters you get your smart you know refrigerators you get this that and the other all these things are are meant to cut down on your emissions but what it leads to is what we see in the netherlands and i just keep pointing back to the netherlands because they are stopping farmers from growing food that's yeah. their that's their livelihoods. They're cutting off their entire livelihoods because of the amount of nitrogen released by fertilizer. Yeah, they're starting that in Canada here too. Same thing, yeah. uh, cutting it down. And and I mean, this the only time I'll say this. Michael Moore did one good thing, and it was actually I don't know if he directed it himself, but he produced a documentary about the green uh, industry, mm-hmm. and it was very, as far as I can tell pretty straightforward and and truthful about how it's all a scam or there's none of these things are even close to being better for the environment than the status quo they're literally burning trees to power teslas Hmm. these windmills are a disaster Hmm. just the energy it takes to 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 create one is is never going to be brought back with its lifetime and then you can't dispose of them i mean if, if this stuff was just break even i'd be okay with it but this is so that's where i'm yeah well, it's the not point, encouraging. The point of uh, so you know, like making minor efficiency strides to lower costs and make you know power and you know energy making you know lowering your energy bill because your light bulb is slightly more efficient, right? Or uh, or at a massive scale with some sort of implementation at a factory level. 
what where on you know we can we can represent that in terms of a bell curve in terms of a Pareto distribution or a bell curve at some point you tip over the edge to where your efforts of trying to reduce um emissions or whatever that your your efforts in trying to produce efficiency is going to have a bad is going to go bad at some point in time right and that's and i think um but but to the point is i don't see this was the point i wanted to make but when you consider the fact that the malthusian environmentalism the anti-human environmentalism is is a is literally the core of it is the core religious belief of the current Western dominated globe. And you are playing in, you are playing in the sandbox with the elites. You have a couple of choices to make, right? You, and one of those, and one choice you, one choice that you can make is you can be the firebrand against everything. And you can say, screw that, screw that global warming's a myth. It's not going to be, you know, it's all you, all you're talking about is lie or lies, or you can maybe take, you can take a, a, a more Machiavellian approach and you can say, yes, environmentalism is the worst environment. You know, saving the environment is the worst is the thing we have to do. And, you know, that's why you should give all your money to me so that I can actually spend the money and save the environment. Oh, but but I'm not actually a Malthusian. I actually want humanity to increase in population. So I'm going to you know, so I'm so I'm going to make sure that I'm going to make sure that my environmentalism is, an, is a human environmentalism. I mean, again. To the point, look at how quickly look at how quickly popular culture turned on him when he dared to buy a, when he dared to buy a social media network, even though all the social media, you know, even though it still has the same ownership structure, which people are, or, you know, there's still a lot of the same owners that were that were there when it was public. It's just private now. I see that as I see that as a couple of things. One, it's a smart play when you consider the fact that that's where everybody is. Right. Jeff Bezos buys the Washington Post. Elon Musk buys the buys Twitter. I'm going to put my money on e on Elon for that in that regard as to who's who how, who's going to pay off more in the long run. The, mm -hmm. the, the 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 experiments you can run, the data you can collect, the insight you can gain about how human beings think and operate is is tremendous. But what it, but in practice, what he has been doing and, you know, we're recording this seven about a week before he says he's going to make the code public. Right. So. Uh, a week before he says he's going to make the Twitter code public, I see. I see at least a little bit him trying to right the scales. He's trying to bring balance. He sees the imbalance in the political climate, and he's saying, "Well, how?" Can, and he's operating under the lib under a liberal assumption, and so he says, "Well, what what am I going to try to do? I'm going to try to I'm going to try to rebalance these scales now." Mm -hmm. To the extent that that's the benefits. chosen one, he's bringing balance to the force. This is this is what <laughs> as long as he doesn't go Darth Vader. We're okay, <laughs> but see, but that's the side, but that's the potential cycle, right? Is is precisely that? It's like it's all well and good to try to bring balance to something, but but that just means that inevitably you're going to piss everybody off, right? So it's so that's so so I think that's where you know that's where it is. I also liked this tweet of his where he says, "I can't wait for society to collapse so my ideology rises triumphant from the ashes," and he says this describes a significant portion of this platform. Yeah, I mean that's why I, there was. I'd like the I'd like to ask Pete something because he's been a little quiet for a while and listening to what LB just described and the way that LB put uh, like framed Elon. It made me think it seems like what, what LB is describing and it might be the reality of what Elon's doing is he's trying to change the dialectic. Do you think that how easy do you think that's going to be? Uh, it depends unless Twitter is just a tool. It's a gun. It's it's a, 
basically it's an old school message board. Who's putting out the, whose message is getting bumped? Whose message is getting out there more than anything else? Which one is dominating? Um, the problem that like people like myself and people who see this regime for what it is, it's basically anti-human. It's a, it's a start. It's just a continuation of what Marx started talking about, went through the Bolsheviks, through the Frankfurt School, up through the neocons, all the way through to this, all the way through to um, especially Theodore Adorno and the authoritarian personality. Um, we'd... <sighs> Musk can have maybe the greatest platform for disseminating propaganda um, on the planet. But if the people, if the, if the left or these anti-humans are better social engineers and better propagandizers than the people who are against them, it's not going to help unless he actively throttles the the anti-humans and promotes uh, the people on the right, which he isn't going to do. He's a class. If, if he is, in fact, the kind of person who bought Twitter because he believes in free speech, that lends me, uh, that would tell me that he believes in classical liberalism to some extent. He believes in the marketplace of ideas. And if he believes the marketplace of ideas, it's just there. I mean, it, literally, if he, if he just basically wipe the slate clean of all the algorithms and the way things were done on Twitter before, um, then we would have to be better than the other side at propagandizing. And I don't think we're there yet. No, he, he absolutely agrees in um, classical liberalism. He is a, a true believer in the principles that led to the end of apartheid, which um, allowed the, the ANC to usher in the Marxist ideology into South Africa and use necklaces as a force to, to persuade the political um, uh, enemies into giving up power. You want to so, describe, you want to just explain yeah, I was what say, the necklace is there? Is called like really something necktie? No, it's not a necktie. They called them a necklace. All right. Necklace. What they would do, what the ANC would do. So the ANC trained uh, with the Vietnamese up in Northern Africa. And um, they were, the, the Vietnamese were given the duty by the Soviet Union to go train the ANC, which is the African National Congress, which is the party that's in charge in South Africa right now. Mm -hmm. What Mandela and the ANC did was they would go into instead of fighting the the white people and the people responsible for apartheid, they would go in and they would terrorize the impoverished. So they would go into these little villages that were, or shanties, like, and they still have shanty towns all over South Africa. If you drive through South Africa, you'll see them all over the place. And so um, they would take, tires and they would go into these these villages they would take a tire they would put it around a person's neck fill it with gasoline light it on fire and let the person burn to death and incinerate right there from from the flame that was uh lit around their neck and they called it necklacing 
that they use that terror tactic in order to force these shanty towns to rise up and stand up against the apartheid regime. Mm -hmm. And so the classical liberal of the apartheid regime, like, like an Elon Musk would stand up and say, we can't allow these people to be tortured this way. We have to give up this apartheid regime. Now, obviously there were some horrible things that happened during apartheid and I'm not going to defend the apartheid regime, but at the same time, by just throwing their hands up and throwing power over to people that had no idea how to govern and just took this Marxist ideology and ran with it. They went from a first world country in 1992 to a third world country by 2008. And so do you, cause I wasn't aware that of maybe just not through paying attention, but that Elon had sort of endorsed that, backing of of well he was, he is, he's more making a point that he was raised during that time yeah he, so was, he, would, he, he is a product of that that kind of classical liberal mindset of we have to all be equal hmm. right in that the apartheid regime had to have given up power in that way when there were different ways of giving up power there were different ways of stepping down and, yeah. and giving up like that kind of oppressive to authoritarian power, there were ways to ease out of it and, and, and keep some sort of semblance there. But what they did instead is they just threw the keys mm -hmm. to people that didn't know how to drive the car. Yeah. And it's been destructive. And it's, my... it's been completely destructive ever since. Can I, I can I answer a question from the chat about something I said? Sure. Uh, Carlos is asking, um, why not? why don't we have any on the right that move with confidence? Um, because first of all, the right is not about open violence in the streets like the left are. The right doesn't want to burn down buildings, doesn't want to just go out there and attack people. Um, since World War II and even before with the New Deal regime, um, basically any kind of right-wing activity has been seen as criminal. Um, any and any kind of right wing rhetoric, if it's too right wing, I mean, the left won't doesn't have to um, attack it. There are people on the right who will attack it. You know, Jonah mm -hmm. Gold Jonah Goldberg will call you. You know, will tell you that um, that you're a. <laughs> Uh, that was, that was, it's that a was, Ryan Dawson thing. That, that was a shout out to my friend Ryan Dawson. Um, Jonah Goldberg will tell you that somebody is happy with their service. Yeah, that you're a fat, <laughs> that you're a fascist, and basically, like, there's so much gatekeeping on the right for the in order for the right to do what needs to be done, um, they would have to get their rhetoric would have to ramp up a thousand times. It and Every time their rhetoric ramps up a thousand times, not only does the regime in charge say, oh, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi, you're this, you're that. Um, but people on the quote unquote right say, oh, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi. That's not how we do things. We're th This is the marketplace of ideas. No, this isn't the marketplace of ideas. There is no marketplace of ideas. You force your opinion and what you want to see, how you want to see the world on the people. And 2020 proved to you that most of the people will go along with it. 
there, there's a there's oh, also, hang on. So let, me, let me let me just let me just uh, put put this out is that there is a marketplace of ideas, but the left controls the means of of of, 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 of production. Uh, so they're controlling all the mechanisms to pro to produce the ideas that are in the marketplace. So it's always these fault. It's you know what um, Buck Johnson calls about it. it's like it's the it's the satanic uh, dialectic, where you're given these choices and they seem like choices. Like you can choose between this and between this, and they're both god awful choices. Well, and you basically to go to school, and they say you can't you can't use religious truths in school. You have to throw out you have to throw that out the window. You're not allowed to use narrative and they, they purposefully set you up for failure to understand the world. And they say the only way, the only means by which you can understand the world is this is is the scientism that is is the scientism that we're pushing on you. Um, and and to the and and I'll make the point again, and you know, just to again to keep the conversation bouncing back and forth to maybe defend Elon a little bit, and I think to defend a lot of people out there is is this is like. So he went out, he figured out, okay, these are, you know, what he, I, I watched something where he was talking about what he saw as like the need for humanity is like multi, you know, make, make humanity multiplanetary, make, uh, uh, you know, make, I make AI safe, you know, figure out how to solve the climate crisis. Okay. Here are these problems that society is telling me exist. So I'm going to go out and solve them. And for most people, especially for the most productive types of people, that is their mentality. You know, he didn't buy he probably I don't know. I, I He's never let he's never given the impression to me that he spent a lot of time reading esoteric thinkers. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that's OK. Somebody like that, especially as like a business tycoon, they, they don't need to spend that time. But who right. is he listening to? But who does he listen to in regards to that? And also to, to, to jump on Pete's point and to answer Carlos's question is because most of conservatism isn't actually interested in to being anything more than a heel. And basically, and and where we're seeing the fracturing between conservatism and the right to the extent that there's a difference between them, and I think in general it's worth it's worth painting with a broad brush to try and bring people along with you. But in that, we're trying to delineate between them. The difference between the right and conservatism, or a libertarian and somebody on the right, is this thing: is this sentence. Okay, it's political. I'm gonna win. And until more people start and. And, and what, what happens is you can push people because I do this, you know, I do this in conversations with people who are, who are more on the quote unquote normie spectrum. You can push people to a certain extent within the within the course of a conversation if you're good at, you know, influencing people. But then there but then but then the recoiling happens. And where does that recoiling happen? It just happened recently in a conversation it's like, but, you know, you have to be tolerant. And what you have and then now you have to go now, you know, intolerance is a huge liberal liberal uh, <clears throat> principle. Now they've bastardized what tolerance means, but that does, but you know, again, that's the point of political language and that's the point of trying to, that's the point of trying to change things. So it's, it re, it's the apparatus, the money is not behind people who are yet who are saying, okay, it's political a lot. I, but I think a lot more regular people recognize that. And when, and as we move on or, and, and as we continue, it's going to be more and more of a, an you know, more and more of an obvious statement that people adopt that. Can I, and I will can say, I, I was just going to ask you something, Pete. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you how much of that, that what you are saying, what LB is saying, how much of that is reflective of uh, the right having an objective morality versus the left being relativistic? Um, very, a lot, a lot. Um, so when it comes to, when it comes to defeating, talking about defeating the left, okay, you can you can look at some examples in um, 
in the 20th century. Okay. Immediately people will look at like um, Mr. Mustache who, you know, his arch enemies were communists. Um, yes. He is talking yeah. about Ron Jeremy people. Yes, exactly. Um, and then there's the that guy. Hedgehog is enter the chat. <laughs> then there's that, then there's that guy in Italy. Okay. But they both lost what we should be bringing up. Who should we be talking about? We should be talking about Francisco Franco. Salazar in in uh, Portugal. We should be Pinochet. talking uh, we, Pinochet because these are the guys that won. I mean, I, I I did a post and this this person flipped the fuck out because I I said Franco I said Franco was a hero. He killed communists. He killed anarchists and he killed left libertarians in his country. And for the rest of his life, they got to live communist free in Spain. And people freaked out. Why do people freak out? Because you're not allowed to talk about that. If you want to talk about how, you know, FDR and his buddy Stalin and his buddy Churchill got together to defeat, you know, the, the National Socialists and the um, and the fascists in Italy. Oh, that's fine. You could talk about that all day. We're supposed right. to we, we were that we were on the side. We, yeah, we were on the side of of the scum of scumbags of complete utter it's the worst well, look at el salvador right lived. now yeah el salvador and, is a good current example yeah yeah well we'll yeah. see over the next five years but yeah yeah right that's <laughs> where it's gonna go but it's am looking I, el salvador el salvador is basically one... doing what bolsonaro said he was going to do right. and yeah. actually doing it i mean yeah. bolsonaro did do a lot of stuff in brazil but he kind of hit a wall of resistance and didn't see didn't either have the power or the will or whatever have you to push through that resistance and uh, he left the court demographic alone, right? differences too yeah. between Brazil and, and El Salvador, and also the size makes it mm -hmm. um, it, like they're like El Salvador in particular, it's because it's so bad. Like, literally, they're the people have no other choice but to follow somebody like this at this right. Point. But he did, he did the important thing that he did the leftist thing, which is once you have power, take more. And he went after mm -hmm. the other institutions and took them over. As far as I'm not again, I'm not an expert in the topic, but he went, he went. As soon as he got the presidency, he went up to the courts, took them. Salazar in got Portugal, after 1940, got 100% of the vote every election. Hmm. Every election. This guy in El Salvador is at 96%. I don't know his name. Why would I apologize. You, I mean, um, why, why aren't uh, we talking about them? Why, why are we not allowed? Why don't we talk about them? Why well, we hang on. So what, what, because as soon you... as we bring them up, so because as soon as we bring them up, oh, he was a murderer. They, they were murderers. They were. Oh, yeah. oh, but if you want to talk about politician that but, murdered people, yeah. But if you want to talk about you know the Bolsheviks, you know, overthrowing the czar. I mean, that just needed to be done because the czar was oppressing people. But you know, the communists who were digging up nuns and priests during the spanish civil war oh i'm sorry the anarchists same fucking thing yeah this um, is repressive tolerance right this yeah, is marcuse this, 101. this is marcuse it, it's 100 it, well, until it, it, like un, until people get over you know the right is they get you know i saw sargon of Akkad. he's so he's been called a nazi so many times that he's like been attacking hitler on like he's like which one he's Hitler. stuck in that Hitler on, was a on Twitter for life. And it's like and it's like, oh okay. I don't care that Hitler was a socialist. Everyone was a socialist in the fucking 1920s and 1930s because <laughs> right. that was the friggin' flavor of the day. Even if you weren't a socialist, you called yourself a socialist or you weren't in the game. When yeah. my enemy fuck. when my enemy calls me a slur, I I pay him no mind. 
That's the difference between being a conservative who's trying to say, oh, Hitler was a socialist. And somebody's like, all right, fine. Call me a fascist. I'm going well, to, I'm going to win. How do we get here from here, us? Here, here's the, here's the, here's this is the, the intent. Here's this is the beauty of the show. This is the yeah. beauty of the show. This is, here, Keith, the this is your first time on a friend or fed. This is, this is what we do. Here's, here's the issue. The left holds the right to the right's standards. Yeah. And they expect the right to hold them to their own to the yeah, left when they have none. Right? Even worse. And so even, even so worse. it's like it's like I can hold you to you to your standards and you have to hold me to my standards, and my standards don't exist. They're mm -hmm. shifting and moving all the time. So whatever. I'm well, always what's good. that what's that famous uh, idiom that's like I hold you to your standards when you're in power, and then I you know do whatever I want when I'm in power because those are my standards. I'm butchered it. So it's There's something a, like that. Yeah. Well, well, when I when this. I'm in when you are in power, I hold you to your principles because that's or I, I hold you to I hold you to be to be responsible because that's I, I when you're in power, I ask <laughs> for free speech because those are according to your principles. Yeah. When I'm in power, I take away free speech because that's those that's according to my principles. And also this really cool tweet that I had earlier today that plays in exactly what we're talking about. And this is the folly of anarchism and so on and so forth. Is don't expect order when your first principle is chaos. And this is this is also in reverse why the right politically is going to have a hard time of fighting of, of fighting literally fighting or not literally but uh, peacefully and politically un, in under democratic norm <clears throat> fight back um, against, well, yes and against no. leftist yes and no Let, let's I, I'm going to use a wrestling analogy here uh, a little bit is that you so for a long time you've had the WWE or ain't WWE. nobody in wrestling hug the other guy shut up Tommy um, so. <laughs> So you gotta you gotta throw a punch and the right refuses to throw a punch. That's what we're talking about here. <laughs> no, no, hang on. I'm I'm getting to it, right? It, you you need to I think the this the the long-term success of the right is gonna come down to having options and having viable options and and, and other having I'll do Girardian here. You have to have other models showing you the way. What's happening with the BRICS and what's happening with, with between Russia, China, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and a few other places, it's pretty stunning. Uh, it's happening under the undercurrents and it's it's I think it's changing. Uh, the system as we know it. Now, does it change it for the better or for the worse? I can't, I, I'm not, a, uh, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. However, to, to complete my wrestling analogy, Tommy, if I may, sorry. You may, you may. <laughs> I, you. I have monsters at my house screaming. You didn't hear that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Now I, I heard it. Um, I love you, Tommy. Uh, never change. Uh, so to use a wrestling analogy, for a long time you had the WWE, WWF, and they were like the only place you could go. And occasionally you get like the WCW, you'll get like right now you have the AEW places that gives people options, right? Whether they're better or worse, if they're a better program or worse program, does it doesn't matter. It's allowing other people to go, hey, I don't have to be stuck here. I can go to other places in order to to make my money in order to, and, 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 do, and do some product, right? What was interesting in the in the bipolar order and this is all dugan uh based ide uh, ideology is that it's allowing the world to say hey maybe we don't have to keep doing this western thing we can do other things and using that the 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 resentment of the global south essentially to go we're rejecting these things uh, uh, you know uh, on on point we're not doing this we're not doing lgbt2 blah 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 blah. we're not we're not going to start cutting off our kids dicks we're not doing all these things we're against these policies primarily and if that's the the thing that binds them together that can start motivating the right within the west saying look there's other powerful nations who are, who are rejecting this stuff we don't have to go along with it mm -hmm. i mean just to jump in with a personal anecdote there the this 
west versus i don't even know how you describe it the east kind of whatever it is it's it's so it runs so deep that just from my in my lifetime i was i went to china on a on a modeling contract almost 15 years ago and i stayed in in shanghai and then i went and visited other places then i went back there about 10 years ago as a guest of the chinese communist party because i have a um a cosmetics company that's made in canada and they were trying to do a trade mission and i so i stayed in a, in a town called yiwu which is very similar to you uh, wuhan it's a trade capital there's huge places where people go and buy and sell and it was there for about a week and a half and i was blown away there was basically no rules i never saw a cop there was people walking their dog without a leash you would go you would buy beer for a five cents drink in the store if you walk into a store shopping the the owner would sit down on the floor with you and smoke cigarettes with his kids there it was a business the, the wild same west day. you can start you can start a business the same day you mm -hmm. can open five bank accounts the same day there it was everything was cash there. everything was cash and i came back home and okay it was cleaner here it smelled better there was certain things that are were better but you start i started to notice i was like you don't even want to know you guys you live in the u.s i live in i say it every episode but downtown montreal and i'm in a very sort of posh ish type neighborhood where there's like a stop sign every block and a two speed bumps and a slowdown and a you know the bubble wrap killed around every it's it's i can't it's it, you can't i don't think you could even compare it to something like other than the atrocities nazi germany like it's it's so rigid and so structured and so tied down and so safe that even though anyone i proposed going back to where i went in china like not not the big city shanghai it's it's got its own problems but out sort of in the country town of a couple million where the eye of sauron isn't on it and i'd never experienced freedom like that i went with my uh translator tour guide on a wednesday night just downtown in Yiwu to a park and we went for dinner we went to the park and it was packed from kids to grandparents all doing activities dancing singing music playing and I asked her I was like what's the what's the occasion and she said what do you mean I said well why is everybody in the park and she said what do you mean I was like well you know there's got to be a reason why everyone's outside spending time together and she said, no, this is what we do. What do you do in Canada? I said, we go home and watch TV by ourselves. And she just was like distraught. Like, that's so sad. She couldn't explain it. And I was like, just, there's, it's so fun. Like, there's such a different culture of, of freedom. And again, I'm, I'm speaking from, you know, my, my Canadian perspective. But when it, when it goes that deep to, to try and explain, I don't even know. Maybe we're too far gone in this part of the world where we just, it's a monoculture. It's a monoculture. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's no there's the no West. moral divide, and so everybody more or less, and, and they don't and they don't have the same. They haven't been trained to care about politics the way that people have in, in the democratic West as well. Or safety. They're just laissez-faire. They're out having fun, being communal. It's a, mono, it's a monoculture. They don't have one of the oldest. They don't have a thirteen percent population that was has been was who's 
ancestors were either brought here on slave ships or they came here and they all of a sudden like joined in with this friggin' victim mentality and that they you know are at war with the with the existing culture the founding culture i'm mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a monoculture. I, I experienced the same thing when I went to Iceland. Everybody in the freaking Iceland is related to each other. Right. Well, and people, like, people, what, people say the same thing about Japan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, Ryan Dawson said he left, a, he left a friggin' an iPad at the train station, went back six hours later and it was there. But, well, yeah. this, this speaks to him. Maybe, maybe Pete, we can get, uh, actually the whole panel can talk on this. Um, what's lacking no, now not just beat LB and Tommy as well. Not actually, not Tommy. I'm gonna be. But, I'm um, gonna be. I'll be dipping out. So I'll stop. Uh, I'll be dipping no, no, out no, in a few but, minutes. So I'll stop. Yeah. But he, so here's the question, right? And this is kind of uh, what a lot she of these manly things, shit. She brought me a jar while I'm on a podcast. Like oh, yeah. that's some manly bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Elon's girl don't bring him jars. <laughs> that's why he's building a robot. <laughs> oh, she or they, she 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 brings him jars, but it's like in, you know inside her, and he's got to pull it out. He's into freaky. He's into freaky pussy. That's we, we, we won't yeah, even, I, even touch I don't on. I want to know all that crap, man. We That's didn't touch on that part. Much. Yeah. Um. So high trust society. So I th- I think what a lot of these technologies are 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 essentially trying to do is artificially create a high trust society. And I don't think that's possible. Uh, you can't build anything on a low trust society. It's impossible. Uh, people are too get too concerned about who's going to be chopping off your head uh, this week. You know, you can't build something during a war, and you certainly can't build something when you can't trust your neighbor. Uh, so, you know, the fifteen minute cities and all these other things that, that they're they're trying to push, I think, is this artificial high trust society where we can say, well, you can trust everyone in in this in this district because they've all been they, they've all been vetted, and if someone you know gets out of line. Uh, will uh, will will financially take them out, or will socially take them out? Um, the 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 unfortunate thing is, you can have the, the the veneer, the formal veneer of a high trust society, but all you're going to have beneath it is massive corruption. Uh, every time I see those reports coming out of China saying they're going to have to all these things, I'm like, I guarantee you, from all my studies and everyone I've talked to coming out of uh, the Soviet Union and, and and any communist country, the level of corruption is is absolute, complete. Like everybody knows somebody who's a hacker. Everyone knows somebody who mm-hmm. uh, who knows the black market, who's using the black market, and the and the, it's it's all the way up to the top. So there's no one to stop it because everyone is in on it to some degree. Occasionally, people get busted. Occasionally, the the someone's going to have to do something just because just to satisfy you know uh, a command here or there. But generally speaking. You're not going to even the even the politicians don't want to start the black market because that's where they're getting all their shit from too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's your bitter white pill, I think, for a lot of this stuff is that this you can't artificially create a high trust society. It exists, and usually it exists because of religion, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you just have the corruption will get to a point where you you're, you don't have a society anymore. You have you you have this this thing well i'll, I'll <laughs> offer one direction to what you said Jay, that which was Pete and i well, started on. doing and talking about was going out and looking for that mm. like when we i think pete and i both started talking about that in like 2020 2021 we were talking about you have to go out and maybe you can't create it but you can go find the people and and you got to get out there and i found it through the orthodox church i'm sure pete's found it through different avenues you know and that's the thing it's 
that high trust society does exist. And I'm sorry, LB, go ahead, buddy. No, sorry. I was for a second. I thought I had muted myself. No. Um, I just wanted to make the quick point there of like, it's actually historically speaking, it's not even religion. Religion was religion was was closely correlated with an ethnic group or with some sort of tribe like that. That's the history. Christianity, which, you know, 2000 years. So like it's not not to say it's for it hasn't been a, a significant portion of time. But Christianity was the one was one of a few religions that managed to change that. Right. And we you know, we, we see that displayed in the in the big in the big three religions uh, as as it were, as they exist today. They did it by different means, right? Christianity did it did it mostly through, um, mostly peacefully, as it were. But you know, whereas Islam was always was always done through the sword. Um, but to the point is, it was a, it was actually it wasn't until the consolidation, you know, anthropologically speaking, into into the into monotheistic culture, into into having everything into one, that you really saw that cross cultural. Um, you really see, uh, sorry, not cross-cultural, cross-ethnic participation within society, uh, and that, and I think you know, and, and even even to the extent, and you and you saw the protos in like the Greeks, uh, you saw you saw proto examples of this with the Greeks, where you had the the disparate Hellenistic people who you know had specific interactions with you know who had specific preferred deities, but recognized the validity of of their deities, and then suddenly they come across the the Phoenicians and then they have different gods. And so it's like, but wait, how can they sail the seas better than us if they don't worship our gods? So I just, I just wanted to make that point because it is, it is critical where we are right now that we have to recognize those things, which is, and that's, and that's one of the reasons why I think for a lot of people, the road begins again. I wasn't going to, I was almost going to say, end, but really the road begins again with a return to the father, as it were, with a return to some sort of Christian root. Um, and you need, and, 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 and just to make the separate point as well as you also, you need, I made the point about the engineer earlier, the engineer need still needs a priest, just like the warrior still needed a priest. You need both of those things as a balancing effect again. You know, you need the shaman, you need the shaman and the warrior to balance each other out for the good of society. You said the, uh, you said the big three religions and then it was the third Judaism. No, I was actually I was actually thinking more Hinduism and Buddhism. Oh, okay. I was yeah. just curious. I, I was just... no, because Judaism explicitly doesn't doesn't um they don't they don't uh, proselytize, proselytize or not anymore exclusionary not anymore right not anymore. Yeah, well, we'll just we'll deal with we'll deal with we'll deal with. I think we should. I think we should. I think we should let Pete Pete talk for a few minutes because I know he's ready to get off of here. He's very tired. Um. Well. One thing I would say about before is we were talking about the right and why the right can't win. Um, one of the reasons the right can't win, and you also see this, this is very prominent in libertarianism, is the left reaches out to the left, loves to the left, and punches to the right. The right and libertarian and libertarians reach out to the left and punch to the right. Why is that? I because because liberalism is fucking leftism. Libertarianism is leftism. Classical liberalism is leftism. They are fucking leftists. So so it's cultural. So it's cultural. No, they're left. It's it's a leftist ideology. Classical liberalism, libertarianism. It's all leftism. So they're reaching out to their natural to the people who make the most sense to them. They initially look at. It's like. How many times did you hear a libertarian say, um, oh, right wing, you know, 
left wingers they mean well but they're just misguided but yeah. right wingers they're yeah i mean that is so ingrained in people's in people's minds you hear people say that um when you a- ask anyone you know who's jewish why they vote democrat and they will say because the de- because the democrats are for the people and the republicans are for themselves so it pete is, so pete is all it, good what jews, is fascism all good jews vote blue yeah what is fascism? I mean, Asking I think, that question I think is fascism is nature. It's it's. But would nature. you define it left or right? Um, because I don't know how it doesn't fall under in in left under the same criterion. Just asking that question is fascism. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, Mark. You well, I mean, I, I, here I think to me, right? To me, if you're on the right, you believe in you're anti-egalitarian and you believe in in, in hierarchies in natural hierarchies you may even believe in aristocracy mm. and, well, what's what, that famous the famous uh, the question is how do you tell a left leftist from a rightist is ask them if some people are better than others yeah someone on the right will say yes and someone on the left will give you a speech right so yeah. if you could define and, that but well in the fact well, the the reactionary too so they they did much of what the conservatives do as well which is like well let's take some of the good stuff that you guys are kind of talking about and we're still going to let you run everything, but we just want to have like a couple of exceptions for the things that we want. Right. I think, I think that's Paul. God- that was part of Paul Gottfried's thesis. Please correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, it was a, na- it was a national reaction to co- international communism. Correct. Right? Yeah. That yeah. is exactly mm-hmm. what that, I don't know. I mean, it was less so in Italy, more so in Russia, in uh, Germany. I mean, Germany's Germany was reacting to communism. I mean, he made the mistake of, you know, Operation Barbarossa was was a mistake. If you are not going to go into Moscow and burn it to the ground. And the he re- wasn't and he wasn't going to do that when he had the chance to do that. He didn't do it. Can the we pull I, up Mike's The reason I asked you um, what Sorry, causes what causes that lean to the left for everybody uh, politically is because I don't just see it with people that are political. I see it with people that are apolitical. Oh, I have an that, answer that they tend to, that they tend to lean into that. I have and, an answer and, and, and move to the left. And that's why I asked if it was cultural. I have an answer. Cause, um, I think it's left over in, it's left over in our DNA from a time when we had to come together with Pete, we had to team with people in order to survive. Um, you know, there was a time when, you know, people didn't have roofs, people were living in caves, people did, we just d- discovered, um, agriculture and agriculture is really what built the cities and where you started seeing cities and you started seeing civilization. Um, I think that's still in our DNA. I think instinctively people want to help people who they deem are in need in the modern day they want to help people they are told are in need and that's mm-hmm. why social engineers on the left or there are no social engineers on the right the social mm-hmm. engineers on the left are all about we need to help these people we need to and it's instinctively in our dna that we want to help these people yeah mm-hmm. okay that and it's sense. also that it's also that people who would when the people who want to help get taken in by those so, by those same social engineers yeah. where they would have Can fallen I... on like a Christian, a Christian ethic of like of actually, you know, treating my treating my neighbor as myself again to just talk about the historical point is they are they are then captivated by, you know, because of perhaps trait openness um, is, you know, they're captivated by the by the ideology du jour, which is why, you know, like, right. I, you know, like it's I I. I like basically, I want to move the Overton window to the point that where like 
that that people don't think it's funny to joke about being a socialist. You know, if we right. if we can move and we and like I I don't know how much you guys interact with like you know millennial Gen Z like pop leftism. It's dark, man. It's dark at times. So, um, and no, sorry, Mike, I'm not, I'm not going to yell at you. You said nature is anarchism, isn't it? Yes. And it's just a matter of what we mean by nature because nature is nature, which is to say the chaos that exists before order is instilled. That, that is, that is why that is the link between nature, anarchy and chaos where versus the the lion wins. Mm hmm. Right. Versus the idea of building, building the correct incentives around society in terms of recognizing that there is a human nature. And so there's there's a slight difference in how you use that word. But we're but that but like the that's why that's why the that's why the divine feminine is so or at least his traditionally with the again, with the exception of Catholicism and Orthodoxy, but is is represented in terms of mother nature and father time. Right. Because nature is that chaos and that whole thing, whereas time is actually the installation. The, the uh, is, is, is this is common anthropology, too, by the way. This is what you're going to learn in anthropology 101. They're just going to tell you that the, they're just going to tell you that the patriarchy is bad and the matriarchy is good. Right. <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, and, and, and the left is bad. Hyena is good. And, and, but and like, and like the left is so, um, you know, like, like I have like a I have a prompt of like a piece that I need to write. And it's like the left's greatest trick is pretending other people don't exist. Like there, I mean, at Jonathan and Jonathan Heights work literally shows that um, literally shows that like that can that that conservative minded people have operate on a, on more on a larger spectrum of morality than than people who are considered liberals or of the left. So you see and, and like those people have always existed. Right. But, but but to what extent have the has the intent has 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 the incentive structure amplified and promoted those types of people? And that's and that's the that's the idea of like runaway leftism. It's all everything can be, in, you know, put in terms of, you know, lines that reflect reality. Right. Everything can be terms in part of Pareto distributions or a Cartesian plane or, a, or, you know, a line or something like that. That's how our symbolic minds operate. I have to say goodbye. I want to thank thank you guys for the invite and thank you for putting up with me. Uh, I know Peter. that. Uh, you are always handful. invited, sir. I have been trying to get you on this for a while now, um, and I am uh, uh, more than more than honored, more than pleased, more than humbled for you. For, and I uh, almost for and I almost fucked it up today. I was gonna almost have to do this from the car driving back. Hey, so. I, I was gonna say I, I, my my apologies for making us start a little late. <laughs> fucking okay. these things up, fucking these things up is my job. So don't don't <laughs> steal my thunder. Okay. Thanks, guys. Uh, Pete, Pete what? Before, wait, before you go, uh, two things. Uh, final vote, uh, Elon Musk, friend or fed? Um, f- friend now, fed in 10 years. Uh, and if you want to do any pitches, uh, I'll, I'll, I will link all your stuff uh, in the okay. show notes after, we, uh, after this wraps up. But if you want to do, uh, do your spiel to let people know where they find you. Uh, the Quinone, yeah, the Piquignano show, uh, PeteSubstack.com. And uh, check out on YouTube the Old Glory Club channel while we're still there. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, much. Pete. See you later. Appreciate it, much. Yep. Uh, Adam Patrick, I think, is going to be jumping in in about five minutes, so we will uh, keep his seat. LB LB just changed this uh, this whole concept from uh, Elon Musk friend or fed to young friend or fed whenever he brought up the divine mother. <laughs> I got to stop using that term. I keep like, I, I mean to say like, I, or I have to come up with a better one because like, it's not the divine mother. It's the, it's the symbolic. It's, 
Yeah, it's the divine. I keep saying divine mother, be, you know, just because like it's I have to I have to come up. I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put I'm going to put LB on a podcast with John Hartman and let them just talk young for the next like three hours. <laughs> I honestly intuit most of young. Is that, is that um, an Oedipal thing? Take it. Take a shot every time someone mentions the shadow. No, because I, I'm using the words literally and not um, symbolically when I say like I'm talking about like the idea of a divine like like a divine feminine ideal no, no, and those those are like the traditional those are like traditional pre prehistory societies that tended to worship nature and yeah. you know symbolically speaking and what it encapsulates is the is the change of the seasons and there's still it's and and verses and then you like you look at the difference it's the titans versus the greek pantheon Simply no, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be completely honest, man. You're still one of those minds that just baffles me every time I talk to you. So like, <laughs> it's all good, dude. I, don't I, I just got I got to give you a hard time, but it's because. Yeah, Mike, I wasn't going to yell at you. I thought it was I thought it was a good point of nature is anarchism, and I think that's that's where like the confusion comes in and the subversion comes in, and I you know and I think that's why. Uh, I think that's why a lot of a lot of people in this space have moved away from the term. I would, I, yeah, I would I, like to. I, I would like to. I would like to address that if that if, if that's okay with all y'all. Go because yeah, that that used to be my thing. Whenever I considered myself a, uh, a market anarchist or uh, ANCAP, I would always say, "Oh well, the 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 rule of nature is anarchy." But <laughs> I I cut my teeth on um, on wildlife documentaries long before i got into politics so mm -hmm. i had to acknowledge that there is a hierarchy in nature mm -hmm. so even in the anarchist nature there's a hierarchy if you go out and yes it's hilarious to watch my ducks chase my 100 pound pit bulls around the yard it's the funniest thing but when they nip boogie on the nutsack and he turns around and he puts the head of that duck in his mouth that duck realizes real quickly there is a hierarchy to what's going on here mm -hmm. right and so it, it it's it's one of those things that we can fall into like kind of a a sense of delusion when talking about things like that and and i'm not i don't have a problem with mike or asking the question or anything like that but we have to understand that if you look at nature and you watch the way that nature operates, I've been in the natural habitat of Africa and I've watched how it operates. There is a hierarchy and there's always a hierarchy. There's always the elites and there's, there's always going to be those that bow down to the elite structure. And so you have to recognize that that exists in nature and that exists in our world as well. Well, yeah, the Lion King well, was, was a documentary. I was having this thought um, the other day is that we can almost, if, if we want to get out of the binary of right and left, or we want to uh, attach the, the primary um, uh, core values <clears throat> being expressed by the both sides. And I, other people have made, have made this comment before is that the right is basically respectful and maintaining hierarchy and the left is the one who's challenging them. And you do, and you do need both. Um, because you, you, you know, hierarchies can become too rigid. Sometimes if you, in necessity might, might promote you, may, might mean you promote a warlord to the top of the hierarchy to fight a war, but in times of peace, that warlord is no longer needed and you need to replace them with somebody else. Yeah. But the problem, then, the problem, the problem with that, with that mm -hmm. framing and is 
that we have been, as Tom Woods has put it so eloquently, and I, I always like utilize this. Um, he he says it's the three by five card of allowable opinion. The problem is too often we continuously frame ourselves within this false dialectic that has been given to us that we have to fall into. This is why I asked Pete given about, about Elon Musk into. This is why I asked Pete given about Elon Musk into. Oh, Jesus. I sound horrible. What did you do, Tommy? I don't know. I broke it. I think that was Adam. I think it was Adam came on. I know we have to put up with listening to you. <laughs> this is why it's such hard time getting LB back on my show. Um, hard times. I don't think I've ever said no to you. LB has never said no to me. I'm just being a smart ass. I'm like one of the LB's, easiest people to get on your show. Get on any LB, show for anybody. LB spreads listening. it, man. Dude, LB's awesome on a show. Um, so I don't even remember what I was saying. Uh, oh yeah. So whenever we're talking about Elon Musk and, and the way that LB was framing the way that Elon Musk uh, frames the, the conversation around population, he's an out, anti-Malthusian technocrat in, in that in that framing. And, and so he's like trying to change the dialectic. And this is what a lot of like the Peter Thiel types are doing. They're trying to change the dialectic. They're offering this parallel society. So they're trying to introduce a third leg onto this dialectic framing of, of politics. And it's it's going to be very difficult for that to happen because people are so such binary thinkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like with, it does, when he doesn't fit into a category. There's also another sort of angle on this. I tried to find the clip. It was a guest on uh, Sam Tripoli's show, who's sort of a spiritualist. And was talking about the difference between Luciferians and Malachians, and and referencing how we what we generally refer to as devil worship is is very Malachian, whereas Luciferian is more New Age, Universalist, mm-hmm. sort of leftist in a sense. And he had lumped in Elon and Trump into like Biden and them are the Malachians, give us the you know eating babies, all that crap. Whereas the Luciferians will protect the children are more con- concerned with human advancement, money, success, contracts being legal. And he had lumped, a, again, Elon and Trump into that category. So he said, like, if you were to stack them, you have the most high, then Luciferians, then Malachians are closer to the evil of the bottom uh, realm. And I thought, I don't, I don't know, it sounds crazy, but there is a logic there that I can kind of understand where he is in between. It's not, he's not cre- preaching a Christian value. It's not the most high, but it's not devil worship, child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of, listen, let's get success. Let's get human advancement, this universal ethic. And that's why I think it's hard to pin him down because it's sort of in that, you know, it doesn't really, nothing he says sort of sparks off other than his costume at that one event, whatever it was. Yeah, but some of that's just nerd culture too. I think so, know? right? Like, I don't know. I, like, was that a reference to a video game? I think it's just something I don't have a, um, mm-hmm. a standpoint to to understand it from. But like I don't know. Klaus, I kind of like the idea like of him when being. Klaus Schwab was dressed like a like a character from Star <laughs> like, Trek. Like, like, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't. It's like it, with that. Well, that but, guard, but okay. But Carl Schwab also just, that, he also just incorporates a traditional Bavarian style. Like well, that, that like, but also the stuff. So yeah. the garb that he was wearing in that particular photo, 
if you don't know, it's it's funny because he does look like like some kind of like satanic like witch or like priest or something. But what he was he was actually attending the um the graduation of a particular college, and that's the garb that they wear oh, um, as graduation gowns. So, but if you don't know that, it looks real freaky. Was it so the College of the Sith? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but like if, if people don't know that, why tell them? Because it makes it even yeah, that no, it's it, it makes optics are everything, worse. man. Yeah, exactly. I tend to operate from the principle of people will tell you who they are if you pay close enough attention. And I think and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna connect it back to where I started today, which is to say that um which is to say that Elon Musk thinks of himself as an engineer. So it's all about inputs and outputs. Mm -hmm. Pause for the funny joke. Um that but was, no, but it's all but it's all about the inputs and outputs for him, which is why which is why he doesn't um, which is why he doesn't fit so neatly into the boxes. Mm. And I think and in per, and we might even add that maybe because of his, you know, his aunt being on the spectrum, he is uh, shielded from from he some is of the, the spectrum. He kind of is the spectrum. But like he's kind of he's kind of shielded do you, from. Do you like, see the this... woman he dates? Come on, man! Like that's not all of them, but you know. He but did, he's got he a lot did of kids. The, uh, didn't he date Amber, or at least the? Uh... Yeah, Something. allegedly. What? Um, I don't know who we're talking about. Now. Amber Heard, and Johnny um, Depp's former paramour that went to the you know they went to court with the big case and it was it was it was it was, it, it was the kind of story Tommy, that you stay away from. Tommy. Amber Heard. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. 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 Gotta, that's a that's a I don't that's, I, a, that's I, a friend or fed right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tommy friend. I, I feel like I I feel like <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> as a rule, we were never gonna cover women on the series. Uh we do we did, we did uh, touching it. We should just we do did, one um, women friend or fed. We did. We did uh, uh Tulsi Gabbard. Hmm. Oh, that's right. She's cool. I was trying to make a bad joke. And we were very unmisogynistic the entire time. <laughs> yeah, just we board. were Don the pleb, oh, however. Fuck you, Don. <laughs> Is, are we getting Adam back? I, I think oh. so. He's he's trying to sort himself out. <clears throat> we'll just leave him up. Um, but I think again, going back I, to I don't, the I don't right, I don't recognize her LD. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. She's I, an actress. She's never got that popular. Her, oh, biggest, her, her biggest claim yeah. to fame is sleeping with Johnny Depp and like throwing a bottle of wine. Hey, 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 hey. Rum, di rum, rum, rum Diary is my favorite movie of all time. Okay. So, so, so she she's an actress? Yeah. Yeah. Of sorts. Okay. That that makes sense why I wouldn't know her. Yeah, like I said, it's the exact kind of story that you stay away from. Um no, no, but okay, okay. We got, oh, we got the echo. Oh, Jesus. Hey, Adam, your your audio is coming through, through uh, your, your computer speakers, not your headphones. Yeah. Or you're running is a virtual it? soundboard and it's coming through twice and, and it's going into your virtual soundboard. Un unmute your mic. Boop, boop. It's Speak. gone. Try it's it. gone. We're good. All right. There we go. Dude, I, I haven't used a stream. Turn your mic up. Yeah, you yeah, turn it quiet. All right, there we go. There, there we go. go. This is how much. This is how much Good, of a lot of Adam was. This is how much of a lot of Adam was. Uh, uh, this shows you Adam's, how often he records. I <laughs> once a year. I, yeah. I I broke Adam's cherry on Facebook Messenger. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was I was sending you a carrier pigeon, but he couldn't make it all the way to the other side of the universe where you live. Pretty sure it crapped out somewhere in Turkey. I don't know. <laughs> shot down by a, a 
ballistic missile or something. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm sending balloons. Dude. I told you blame you. Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I'm sorry to interrupt, um, which I feel like I'm clearly doing. I was I curious, man. I, I was trying to grasp as much of this episode as I could while I was doing a bunch of paperwork. Um, and so I, maybe just throw a question out there real quick. I didn't hear anyone bring up that the the quote unquote left right paradigm that seems to be the sort of general topic of the show is like 230 years old. And maybe there's sort of powers at work that sort of uh, are overarchingly manipulating both of those sides in a false dialectic. And I think maybe I would just go back to Quigley um, in Tragedy and Hope and just kind of point out his observations that you know, whether it's Mussolini or Hitler or the French Revolution or the Borgias or the Pope or whomever, they're all kind of manipulated sort of behind the scenes by the ultimate sort of ruling overlords, the banking elite, whatever you want to call them at that time. And I was curious if anybody had any kind of thoughts on that perspective. Tommy? You want me to talk about it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he's, he's absolutely Age right. Age before beauty, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely right like um the 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 fact of the matter is is that we're we're fed and this is why i keep bringing the dialectic up and but the, the breaking this framing is is such a difficult thing and the way that it was incorporated into the the structure of politics in the u.s was they found a way to um they they got to the children and they they instituted this mindset through the education system. And uh, so breaking that grasp of the education system is, is key to changing the, the way that we view politics in this country. Do you think I kind of, I just wanted to add, like kind of delve into that concept a little bit deeper because I don't really know just from my stupid you know what i what i'm aware of which is not a lot like i know we started referring to it as right and left but that seems to me seems more like a universal thing right that comes brain, from the french brain, revolution. like a dualism right that from comes the from the french revolution, revolution. Mm -hmm. it was right. an accident was yeah it was an accident of geography well no it was an accident of geography it was it was on on, on in parliament during mm -hmm. during france the people on the left were anti-government and right. the people on the right were conservatives. And it was just a complete accident of, of geography at the, at the time. And it just carried over. But is that the only cause that's, or is it something it. maybe you're that, older that, and more that, universal than it that? May be, because it there's may, like a, well, look, uh, older and more universal. That's, well, that's what, where what, I'm gonna, so the reason I went there is because like well, in here, Canada, there's, there's a lot of places where there's many parties. Well, here's but the they'll thing. still either they'll call themselves right or left depending on their traits. Well, here's and then the to thing. me, that seems like a, a, a duality issue more than a like it just just goes back to French Parliament. Is that the right. only that seems too That's, simplistic? It, that the, the terminology oh. being popularized was an accident of geography. Now, if you want to get into the way that the symbolism works through esoteric means. And yeah, incorporates our, itself into our modern dialect and our modern way of thinking. Then yes, I mean, there's obviously more there, but the what popularized the terminology was absolutely just an accident right. of geography. 
I mean, I I think it maybe LB was going to jump on this, so I, I'm yeah, just, sorry, LB. I'm going to let LB run with it. Yeah, I th- I think maybe you're going to touch on. It. I just wanted to kind of shoot an answer real quick, and that's that if we're not using the French Revolution dialectic of left and right, then it becomes incredibly subjective what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? And so if we're if we're going to go to where I would want to go with sort of left versus right, it would be order versus chaos. It'd be ultimate christian order versus right and and so what ends up happening then when i talk about it if i'm not defining those terms properly or or overtly to other people they're not they're going to take their own subjective opinion of left versus right which is the commonly understood sort of boomer dude kind of you know french revolution thing they don't they don't know it came from there but they're thinking republican (laughs) democrat they're thinking aoc versus bush jr or something along those lines so i would take it to a much uh larger and more um uh, sort of high level view, which Adam is would Adam would run order. directly to left hand, right hand. Uh, left hand path. Yes, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that's a that's a much more um, no. Much and, more and, and like I said, I, I said I, like, that's what I was saying through s- symbolic means. I think these these things, these patterns, slip their way into our dialect, mm-hmm. and that a lot of times it's not mm-hmm. consciously done. But I, I do think it it happens for a purpose, for reason. Right. That was that's sort of my my statement was that I think like I could be wrong, but it seems like that that French Revolution thing just kind of lines up properly to be attributed, whereas it's 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 bigger than that. Well, well, now it it does mm-hmm. now, but before the French Revolution, it could have meant something completely different. Depends mm-hmm. on where you were in the world and what you were dealing with. So I'm curious if that were if if that is where LB was going to go. Yeah, let's yeah, go, LB. LB. Right, let's so- go. I was going to abstract it one step further from what you were going to do, which is to even remove the idea of order and chaos, which is to say, like, linguistically, left and right are relational terms. And Aristotle talks about this in terms of there are some things that you can only know in terms of their opposite. Mm-hmm. So in that there and so the, there is no left. I, I, I don't view things as there being a left without the right or a mm-hmm. right without the left. Yeah, it's the like political, a practice. Yeah, the political mindset actually, like I, I view things more in terms of, um, like, like more in something closer to this. Which, dang it, that's not on the right side of the screen. Um, Wait, but what is the right side of the screen though? Really, ultimately, <laughs> ironically, this is my <laughs> yeah, left. To screen. me, it's the opposite. Right. This so. is the left. Yeah, screen, it's on the, the it's right on the left side. side. It's on the left side of the screen. No, but which right like side. which is to and like I. I, you know, the, the ancients talked about geometry, right? And they saw there, like they talked in terms of like sacred geometry. And part of that is because geometry is deductive, right? There, it is the case that a, that a triangle is, is a three-sided figure that whose angles add up to 180 degrees. If it doesn't do that, it's not a triangle. You know, if it doesn't, if you can't, if you can't calculate, if you can't calculate the radius using pi r squared, it's not a, you know, you don't have a circle, right? It's the, these things are, these things are, are inherent. So like, I think there's oh, in that we conceptualize a, a given society as a circle. There's always going to be a left and a right, and there's many different. And then there's there's extra meanings we can put on top of that. I actually don't know that it was entirely an accident in terms of history because politi- politics and history was largely geographical, right? And we mm-hmm. you know in America we can see the example of this and like the blue dog Democrats. We've seen that shift. I think as a matter of as a matter of technology, not as a matter of our cha- of, of our nature being changed. We have a distributed we have distributed culture now where it's not culture doesn't have to be as is, is, it was usually influenced from like your most proximal fr- from the people most proximal to you. Now you can be influenced by somebody around the world. Then the other point there was underneath that was a line with two bars. Underneath that was a line with two bars on it. Um, 
right? Like a line graph, which is to say distribution. Like the dis- like there's always been this distribution of humanity that spans this range from what we could call left, what we could call right. To the extent that those people in terms are in term are maybe more or less chaotic is why the order chaos dichotomy works so well, so good as well. And 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 that speaks to something deeper than the modern French interpretation of left and right, which is the popular understanding that most people go with, which is why you see a Joe Rogan and so many other well-meaning people go out there and say like, what is it, man? It seems like the left, you know, the left used to stand for all these things and now they don't. And the right, right used to stand exactly. for all these things and now they don't. It's like, no, I didn't leave the left. The left left me. I think an, I think an element of what we call left and right starts actually at like at a biological temperament level. Um, I've, you know, I, I'd sent, I'd put it like, I'm from a large family and a large extended family too, which is rare for a lot of people I know in the States. So like one thing about being from a large family is it teaches you how to love people who are different than you, like in a, in a very true way versus let's say you were only raised with one or two siblings. You don't talk to your siblings very often. You have a friend group who's all within the same, uh, who all makes the same kind of money as you do, who are all, who are all have the same interests as you because you're all friends. It's like, that's not it's very easy to love people who are similar to you. It's more difficult. It's actually a challenge to love people, um, to love somebody who, to truly love somebody who's different than you. And that's that's in some respects what I think fa- what family does and what family is. And so, you know, to the extent that people focus on the nuclear family, you lose that. Mm-hmm. Well, look, yeah, the, the, the there's a the, there's a whole I mean, I, I, I'm reminded of uh, Summa Contra Gentiles when you were bringing that up. That reminds me a lot of what Aquinas is bringing up, the sort of rationalism in that book. And I think, you know, it's it's one thing to say order versus chaos, and that comes across sounding dialectical, which is probably a fault of semantics on my part, because that's not what I'm trying to do by bringing that up. I think the dialectical sort of tension in that comes out of sort of uh, early medieval Western Christianity sort of is hyped up and steroided by the enlightenment and all the modernistic sort of tendencies to materialism and like rationality and idealism and atheism. Um, So I probably think of a better way to word that. Um, I I would see it more as like order being the natural state and chaos, not being an equally opposing force, but the, the uh, sort of vacation of uh, vacating uh, of the good, you know, and not uh, a created entity, not something like a created grace or, you know, uh, creative energies in the world, uh, as Aquinas would put it, but more as a um, an empty, an emptiness of uh, uh, vac- vacating is the best word I could think of to say it in more of like an uh, an orthodox way of putting it, um, which is not to negate the way you're putting. It. I mean, that makes sense, I think, within that kind of Thomistic setting to sort of see it that way. And I And I think also that's a really good indication of how um, kind of everyone post the 1300s uh, would take it. So it, it's well, probably the best description of how anyone would see that. Um, anybody you talk to kind of on the street today would see it sort of in the way you're describing. And look at the Hellenistic age. And I have one more point afterwards and then I'll let you go, Jay. Sorry, but look at the Hellenistic age in particular. You had the Stoics versus the, you had the Stoics, the Epicureans and the skeptics in the third Academy. Um, and so like the Stoics were the, the providential order based people who says there is a divine ordering to things. And so therefore we have to, you know, and we don't have control over our lives or our job. We all we have control. We don't even have control over our bodies. We have only have con- control over our judgment of things. And you had the Epicureans who were the strict materialists who wanted to maximize pleasure in the here and now because there is nothing else. This is all there is. And then you had the skeptics who kind of, the, the academic skeptics, the Peronian skeptics who kind of 
bubbled up in the course of these things. Um, the other point I was going to make was that Plato Socrates talks about the idea of recollection. It's very important when you study Plato in school. The idea, and and, and under Plato's idea of the forms, it's all this knowledge exists, exists and we can access it. And so, and how he does this and he, as he tries to teach a slave in, in um, oh, I can't remember which one. It's one of the five dialogues, but he tries to teach a slave geometry and he shows the slave geometry and he says, see, this knowledge was inside of this person the whole time. I just, I just showed him how to recollect it. Well, no, maybe it's actually that the Socratic method, as we come to call it today, by whereby you ask questions and expect your class, you know, expect somebody who's learning from you to answer it. Maybe that's just a really good way of learning. Right. Mm. And so it does. It's not the case that this knowledge exists in all of our minds and we just have to recollect it. It's that, you know, you can teach is that this is a really good method of instruction. So, too, with the dialectics, it's not the case that we have to do a Hegelian dialectic where we're, where we're going to push across the the two sides and then we have to sublimate and create a new understanding. But that does tend to, but one of the reasons why Hegel talked about it is because that does tend to be how we communicate as humans. It seems as we mm -hmm. look at at least two different ideas and then we try to figure out an understanding in between those, right? Friend or fed, we set up a dialectic, right? Right. But that's, that's actually, that, I don't believe that's what the Hegelian dialectic is. Like it's not a matter of two people having a conversation and trying to come to a mutual understanding. It, it's actually about progressing toward, an ultimate uh the the sort of the gnostic god finding himself through the dialectic and human understanding that that's yeah, his guys he's trying yeah. to put forward he's not saying you and i are going to sit down over a cup of coffee and come to a mutual understanding of a topic no but let just me, but just as socrates just as socrates said the recollection hey I'm, I'm, it's more of like hold on jason we're we talking. don't have to throw, it's a baby in the bathwater is, is i think the more part sorry it's your show jay that's true. It is. No, no. I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to throw a concept in here, which, which I think, which I think will uh, bring us to something else. And I think, uh, kind of umbrella both these, both the things you're talking about. Uh, the ritual and reality are one. What's missing in in most modernist ideas is the is the ability is is that we're, what we don't really deal with is uh, is not the dialectic, but we deal in a paradox. Most of most of human existence deals with within the paradox of the, of the material and the metaphysical, kind of feeding into each other. So when I say the ritual and reality are one, when we start to create a, a reality, let's say the orthodox reality, which is different, which runs in parallel to the Christian reality, to any other kind of meta reality that we have, the the rituals that the orthodox, just for example, uh, uh, use kind of enforces that reality right so our so our reality is somewhat different and somewhat separate than other people's reality even though we're we're enmeshed in sort of a meta reality our re our rituals kind of enforce that that reality you can't get out of it like let's just look at a family right what what we say that the, the word family and how we and how we uh interact with that what's what our what's a relationship with that word well generally speaking families you have family dinner right there's a ritual thanksgiving uh, certain feast days, certain uh, vacations, going to Disneyland, whatever, right? Uh, family movie night, whatever. Those are rituals that you enact within your family that holds that concept of, of family together. It's not just materialistic. There's a materialistic form to it. But the concept of family is, 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 is immaterial. It's, it's metaphysical, but it's meaningful. What the, what the post-enlightenment project has brought us to is the removal of that, of that metaphysical, that challenge of the ritual, and, they, and, the, and the idea that the rituals themselves are just, you know, social constructs, they can be done away with, they can be challenged. When you're doing that, you actually start to alter people's reality to the foundational form of, of what they think is real and how they interact with this material realm. 
to to the detriment of people's psychological health. And I think that's what's what's the the leftist project has has brought us to is that we're having mass psychosis because we're not just challenging intellectually someone's idea of of how you interact with this world. You're dealing with someone's actual concept of of what this world is and and who they are in it. I would argue, I would argue with what you're laying out that that was, that was the Hegelian plan all along. And so that's where his dialectic came from was to, to put the parameters on what this ritual reality would then be. Right. And so he drew those lines and, and anybody can Adam or LB, anybody feel free to correct me. But he drew these lines specifically to withhold this this conversation, this um, the way we lived our lives, the way we interacted with politics and the world. He he drew him these lines specifically to hold us into this framing that would only lead in one direction. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, but not only one direction because they were left Hegelians and they were right Hegelians. But to, but to Adam's point, it was because he was. He his you know to to take a term from the the entire idea of a zeitgeist comes from Hegel right because Geist is his spirit uh, mm-hmm. you know his spirit that he talks about that's always in this dialectical process of sublimating that is ultimately going to reveal the it some some eternal truth to the whole of humanity mm-hmm. yep. right and and because and you know and you know there were because frankly that's just what a lot of German philosophers do yeah they're they, the worst know, <laughs> yeah. They, they really, that, really are. Honestly, I've always like Germans. talk about bigotry. I've always had bigotry against Germans. It's, oh, <laughs> it's just, it's just, except the food, the food is dope. Hey, come on. I got a bit of that in me. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's, you can relate that to the, the sort of analogy for modern politics where you say, listen, the, the, the sort of medium road between the left and the right is what we find through democracy. And that's, what's most healthy for society. And I always sort of try and figure out, I don't know why it is, but it seems to be innate for people to moralize a political side. And I remember when I was younger and on the left, it was like, well, because the left are good and the right are bad. And then now that I would consider myself on the right, even though I try as hard as I can to not use this terminology because it leads to moralization, is the left just synonymous for bad? But well, the right, right good. Like it's, how do you? This is, is so redu- was, reduction of. This is what Pete was saying earlier. All right. This is why all all political ideology moves left, because the left views the right as evil, and everybody mm. on the right views the left as as mistaken or misunderstood. Or mm. but they have I a don't, good I don't, But I don't know that that's true. I mean, go on, go on. True Social. They're talking it about these guys are straight up matter. devils we're, we're drinking baby about, blood. The we're talking. Well, no, they're not talking about. They the don't left. say oh, they're a little slightly misguided. We're not talking. They're not talking about the left. They're talking about the elites. They're talking about a specific faction. What mm, what, what we're what what I'm saying is is we we sway to the left because that is the dialectic we've been fed is that the right are evil the left is misguided or mistaken you'll hear this with libertarians you'll hear it with everybody they'll mm-hmm. say that the left is just mistaken they're misguided they don't understand they need to grow up they're just young kids yada 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 but but the left is constantly the right is evil the right is evil the right is evil the right is evil so then you get the conservative, let's say conservative movement that 
is saying anybody to the right of the conservative movement is evil. Anybody to the left of us is mistaken. So we have to debate yeah. with the left, but we have to shun the right. Yeah. Well, that's and even so Sowell's, that's, the, that's uh, where the that's what the problem comes in. With the yeah, Thomas Sowell's conflict of visions, right? <laughs> yeah. Said the same thing. Mark, I was going to answer your question by saying that's why Caesar wears purple. You know, Mar Mark, to, to I thought it had to do with the the expensive dye, but to, really, to your no, point no. about moralizing, <laughs> I, I think I think people have to understand when we talk about moralizing, we also have to talk about what morality are are we speaking of, right? Because if there's this sort of general understanding in the, and I'm not saying anybody here is a normie, I don't believe that to be true, but the normie ethos is like every every random internet atheist you meet is operating with the Christian morality, right? Yes. Whether they know it or not. Right. That's a, that should be kind of obvious to everybody. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about somebody like like Hegel or somebody in that more high level sort of system building worldview, uh, they are not operating in that morality at all. Mm -hmm. So to to make the mistake of confusing one with the other or to say, well, when I'm on you know Reddit or something like that and I'm seeing these people argue over um, a, a topic or in a singular issue, and they are invoking morality, well, I have to look at it and say, well, where is that morality coming from? Because the elites, the people who are really moving everything toward ultimate death and destruction, um, they don't believe in morality. They believe in an entirely subjective, we can do whatever we want, destroy everything um, mentality. They don't agree with Christian morality. They don't believe Christianity is real. Uh, of course, your random atheist doesn't either, but they don't even understand their own scholars abandoned them 150 years ago. Right. What's so there's a lot of that. these there's a lot of these weird sort of underlying presuppositions presuppositions that go into a lot of our understanding of what individuals are saying. Uh, and even on something like Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or Instagram, um, we may hear someone say a word that we're familiar with, but we fall into the word concept fallacy where that word to them or that concept that they're speaking of is not they don't mean it the same way we would mean it. And um mm. I can't say that's you know on purpose, but um, I think it's it's a trap to sort of fall into to say when I hear someone talk about morality, well, where are they pulling that from? And this is what makes mm -hmm. social media so difficult when it comes to having real conversations and things like this so important um, because we can get out there the sort of meta ideas of you know the word concept fallacies or all of these sort of uh, traps that people fall into and realize that you know folks like. Lord, Lord Klaus uh, and these sociopaths are not even really coming up with anything new. Like what Schwab yeah, and these guys want to do is, you know, 4,000 years old. They're just tapping into the same meta narrative, the same pattern. Uh, and so when they're kind of on the ground acolytes are talking about them uh, on social media, they're th those like low level people, right? These normie people are using um, a dumb Christian paradigm to espouse a non-Christian worldview. And if we don't have that sort of understanding going into it, we're going to get all confused about, because they're confused. <laughs> so kind yeah. of seeing that big meta narrative well, helps us sort of discern how lost those people are and how easily controlled they are. And they're operating in a completely different meta narrative than the folks they're advocating for and us as well. Yeah. Well, and just to sort of signal, toss the lob a hand grenade into that, I'd say Christians don't even agree on Christian morality. And so... Well, no, I think Christians agree on Christian morality. I don't think there's any argument between a Catholic or a Protestant or an Orthodox Christian on what morality is. I, like, I would it, highly, I think we differ to the a lot extent on that, theology. Yeah. 
Well, no, sorry. I was I, I was gonna say like one one like signal that you're kind of onto something is that the more complex and the more simple you try to make the idea, there's still coherence to it. And I was gonna say, I think Adam, what you just laid out is the children's game of telephone, right? Mm. Yeah. Which is like a game that and like why do you play that game as kids? A, it's fun, but B, we know like from Gerard that like that that or or no, no um what's the guy? Not Gerard talks about kids, or who's the guy who talks about play and children? Um Kinsey. Um, no, no that was a joke. Epstein, um, <laughs> say Kidsy. <laughs> Peugeot, Peugeot. Yeah, thank you. Um, but so, but like, so the idea that someone got games, it. Thank you, Adam. I I got the joke. I got the. I, I just <laughs> two two more. Trying to stay sorry. on topic. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. No, but there's the co there's the coherence between when like you try to, and I think this is this is like the beauty of any of 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 religion is that it makes it can make things simple and make things complex, and there's still like you basically you're zooming in right and there's still resolution there's still resolution as far as far down as you go but that's the children's game of telephone and to the point i think mark maybe what you were pointing at is there are some weird sects of christianity out there but what they are is just they are just the game of telephone across the ages where like they're so far removed from the wellspring that they suddenly become like mm. a, a, because 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 what are we witnessing right now i mean you can see you see their flag planted everywhere Right. There's plenty of there's plenty of sects of Christianity that are being overtaken by the cult of. And there's a comment in the chat about it just now. It's like of being overtaken by the cult of diversity, equity and inclusion. Well, that's it. I was just referring to like the 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 split between Protestant and Orthodox. Well, I mean, you, which you is can pretty even go, severe. I mean, just to just I'll, I'll even like, you know, blame ourselves over here on this side and say that, you know, our uh, Orthodox ecumenical patriarch is just as compromised by intelligence agencies and the ecumenist movement as the Pope or as evangelical Christians, right? Nobody is immune to this. And understanding that the entire global elite plan is to destroy all world religions, to, to promote perennialism as a dilution method, and then to break down all borders, whether they be physical or sociological or, you know, theological, whatever, and make everything sort of, we're all focused on the monad and we're all going to have this, uh, you know, view of uh, a TV view of God in the afterlife when we're all transhuman sociopaths. Um, I mean, it, I, yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it's easy to go back and break down the decline in theology, you know, over the last 1500 years and show like how, you know, Protestantism differs from Roman Catholicism and differs from Orthodoxy. But ultimately, like this might not be the place for that, because I think everybody in this group is focused on the same thing. Um and uh, and understanding that all of our particular theological beliefs are prone to infiltration and destruction. Uh, and we're seeing that with the, it's, I'll speak for orthodoxy. The ecumenical patriarch uh, might as well be the pope, might as well be Jerry Falwell at this point. Right. Yeah, and then, I, I did. A, I did a podcast with Jim Jotras and we talked about this. Mm. Right. And, and so um, it's it would be easy for me to grab Operation Gladio and talk about the pope's. Um, role with the cia and how the cia infiltrated the vatican but what even in my young you know uh, age and and diving into orthodoxy i was like no let's take on what is actually like the ills of orthodoxy because there are mm -hmm. some here and so jim jotras and i we discussed um how in in the 1940s the the state department of the united states bought the the ecumenical pa patriarchate and mm -hmm. and basically was appointing specific 
um, bishops to that to the position of uh, bishop in in uh, patriarchate in in Constantinople, and um, this has continued today with Jack Devine working with the Ukrainian government to to institute the new Ukrainian church, and then you see the ecumenical patriarchate patriarch uh, Bartholomew Bartholomew from Constantinople go into the Ukraine and and give his blessing to the new Ukrainian church, right? We see it with the monks in Ukraine in Lavra that are fighting for their monastery. So um, it's very easy to point the finger at others, but a lot of times you have to go ahead and look at your own history and come to terms with the evils that have been done in your own history. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I think... Um... Well, I was gonna, I was gonna do a little diagram LB, again. LB thought we were gonna gang up on him for being Catholic, and that just hell no, man. Just oh, I mean, I mean since you're since you're gonna since you're gonna put it there, I was gonna say, you know, to the extent that to the extent that I, I think you know, Jay, you had a very insightful tweet the other day about ecumenism, and I've you know I've I I will say I'll, I'll say in this public forum, I do thank a lot of the people that I've met over the last few years because I finally started going back to mass again on our regular basis so that's been like a pretty big development in my own spiritual life over the last you few doing years. the trad mass or are you doing a normal uh, so far it's just it's the new mass there's the you know but you know it's masses there's mass. the uh, the trannies giving communion and all that good jazz he's enjoying all it. right it's, oh trust me it's if it was i've i've been in some bad i've been in some bad I, the, i'll tell you guys the exact reason one of the biggest reasons why i stopped going to mass and a, a lot of it and it's gonna it, it almost sounds silly but it's not going back to the idea of the ritual and, and reality being one which is to the extent of how much that the mass is corrupted because shut up, up caleb because <laughs> growing up i had the i had the i had the pleasure of being raised basically with benedictines from the time i was seven mm. onward and they had a, and you know, rule of Saint Benedict is the standard for monastic life, and so mm -hmm. they were always it was it was always more traditional. Like, yeah, sometimes there would be a guitar, and when we did the all school mass, I was the kid playing the the hand drum in in church. Um, but like you know, but there was also an appreciation for the old and the tradition and blah 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 blah. And when then when I started going to mass in other parts of the country, it was like this sucks, like this is awful. You know, in Miami, people talk and all throughout mass just because of Miami. Just because it's Miami, and then also Jump there was on here, girl. Um, also, there was just uh, a lot of stuff. But basically, to the extent that I couldn't enter a a contemplative, meditated, transcendental state, I never really, uh, you know, leaving aside the reality of the Eucharist, I could never, I could never. It was like, why would I go to why would I go to church if I can't be in that sort of meditative, transcendental state that 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 like that yeah. brings comfort to me. Right. So that's what I look for. And I've managed to find it so far in, in a regular one. But there is kitty corner. There is um, there is a, a, a novice or there is a Latin mass that I'm, I'll eventually be going to. Somebody this was all to a... say. Oh, go ahead. Of, sorry, because, Jay, you had a you had a tweet about ecumenism as it relates to the creed. Um, you know, and I, I, I at least from what I could find, the Orthodox and the Catholic creed are pretty much are pretty close together. It's just some you can tell there's just some translation differences, at translation least in English. Which whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> let me, I let mean, me, let me explain uh, something shit. to you, man. Uh, this I mean, I, I can't, I can't, just, this is not a translation know. difference, brother. I found I mean, it was basically the Nicene Creed. Except for that one word, man. There's that Which one, one word. 
the uh, Philly Oakway, dude. Okay. Yes. They're, okay. <laughs> I mean, fine. That's and it, big. When you, right. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, it literally that, and that's basically the reason. Oh for, my Yeah. So, right. so apparently, I've this, stepped this, in it. Yeah, this this book here is called. I'm not going to go. I'm the philosopher, not the theologian. Let us remember. And part of what philosophy, what a philosophy intends to do, is the counter melody to religion, which is to say, the to unite. My my the point I was trying to build up to, which apparently isn't going to work anymore. Well, (laughs) I've said I've said the extent to which the extent to which you know you know like the idea between Catholicism is universality, whereas Mm. I've at least at least from my perspective growing up, it the orthodoxy always had more of a. It always had more of an individual, not individuals, I'm sorry, but more of a, a flavor towards the like a specific group vis-a-vis, you know, the the various the various sects of of, of of Eastern Orthodoxy as they pertain to specific ethnic groups. To wit, to wit, the degree to which Orthodoxy becomes un- more universal, it becomes Catholic and the degree to which Catholic becomes more about an individual, an individual ethnic, I think it becomes Orthodoxy. But again, I'm I'm obviously missing some key theological insights. Well, so maybe if we I can just jump in real quick on that before before Tommy and Jay go at it, right? So uh, a couple of things just to, to speak to that. Um, it is true that Orthodox Christianity, traditional Christianity, is decentralized. Um, foregoing a three-hour conversation on how the Pope became the current manifestation of the Pope, Vatican One, the Carolingians, whatever. Um, the idea was always kind of plant a mother church, have it grow, seed a new church, have that turn into a new mother church, which is uh, the rule of Benedict. That's the rule of Benedict. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ben- Benedict is a, a venerated Eastern Orthodox state like that. That's mm-hmm. the sixth century. Like, of course, he is. Absolutely. He is. Um, and he would be doing nothing different than we would be. We'd be advocating for now. So 100 percent. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the idea being that it's universal in its faith and its theology and its Christology and soteriology. But that traditional Christianity doesn't uh, move into an area and usurp and destroy the current culture. It, it baptizes that culture and it brings that culture into the life of Christ. And so, yeah, you do get Serbian Orthodox, you do get Russian Orthodox, you do get Greek Orthodox, but it's all the same liturgy and they're all in communion with each other. So, I, and that is to say too, just to that point that um, in my exploration of Orthodox churches around my area, which is a much older area of the country and the world and maybe some other people are living in uh, southern New England uh, in the States is that it can be almost off-puttingly uh, ethnic um, and and sort of feel almost like a gated community that um, you are ultimately welcomed immediately and then somewhat scrutinized as if you sort of belong there or not. Uh, and I've actually taken that to be sort of a good thing. Um, because as people may know, I grew up Roman Catholic. You know, I did the catechism. I was an altar server. I mean, I did uh, some pretty big apologetic work um, in my early 20s for the, the Roman Catholic Church. And ultimately just, you know, for me, couldn't find what I was looking for there. But, you know, that's besides the point. Um, yeah, th- there is. I, and, and, you know, the thing about that is Roman Catholicism, you know, 150 years ago had the same issue in the United States. Right. Like my my mm-hmm. mother's side is Slovak um, St. James Church, uh, two towns over from me that my grandparents point. came up in um, was basically Slovak. So if you went in there and you weren't Slovak, it would be very off putting. Now, Roman Catholicism has overcome that in the last century and a half. And I believe personally that um, the Orthodox Church, as it grows, will also kind of shed that sort of ethnic baggage. Um, and you'll see that in places like where Tommy lives, where Buck lives, where uh, Erickson lives. Um, you know, I, I don't know. You're in Chicago somewhere, right, LB? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So that might be a little bit la- lacking 
in sort of the um, kind of merging of ethnic cultures. But correct. Um, so I think when, when you get out of the older, bigger cities and metropolitan areas, that's sort of breaking down. And that's um, that's that's a good thing. I think I, I think that's a good thing. Now, that's not to be said that if I've been into a Albanian, Serbian, Greek, uh, currently I'm attending a Romanian Orthodox church that I haven't been unequivocally welcomed when I go in there. But it, I understand that it can be very off-putting for people because you mm -hmm. look around and you go, well, these people aren't like me. I feel personally like that's uh, a barrier I've put up for myself that I need to break down, right? And and also maybe those folks do too, but I can't you know, tell them what to believe or not believe. So it's like, if I've been well, conditioned to feel like an outsider when I walk in here or, you know, are, are, are I... Am I actually feeling like one? So just to kind of speak to those points, we can leave the filioque way to uh, another. No, yeah. and I, I'd be interested just, in, for a different context. Yeah. I sorry. That, to, to build on what something that David Grinowski said on Buck Johnson. Sorry, Mark, you want to get out here? Yeah, I just want to jump yeah. in to sign off. Uh, you guys keep okay. going. This is great. But uh, I got final vote. Elon Musk, friend or fed? Uh, <laughs> oh, is that what this is about? <laughs> it's a fry ed. I never, I never have a vote, and I'm not going to change my ways. Yeah, see, he was a great see, avenue into all good. this stuff. Which is so this is an interesting it. show because both Adam and Pete are people I've asked on on Friend or Fed, and I think initially when I pitched the idea or that you saw the title, I don't, Adam, you can you can speak for yourself on this, but I got a bit of a blowback through people like oh, I don't know about this, right? I don't know. We've um, uh, proven the model. Well, we've proven the model that yeah, we we start with Elon. We start with a general concept, and then we get here where we're talking about the filioque. So, so this is this is the magic of the show. Um, and uh, I thank well, you all for being on here. Yeah, uh, thanks, sorry. Mark. So, Mark needs to go. Does, is everyone else okay for sticking around for a bit more? Or yeah, I just want to grab I'm, a piece of gum. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I yeah. chill for a bit. Mm -hmm. okay. All right, thank you guys so much for coming on. I'm gonna I'm gonna be listening in the background. And uh, peace out. Have a great weekend. And until next time, see you later, Mark. Love you, brother. You too. Love you guys. Uh, real quick, I was gonna say, I think, I think that actually just, but I'm, I'm so glad you actually said that, Adam, because it does, it does square, it, it closes a lot of the loops of why, where I don't see a lot of the divides between orthodoxy and Christian Catholicism, that, um, that I think other people see, has to do with the, has to do with the fact of how much of my Catholicism is inspired from. Bened is from the Benedictine tradition and the church fathers. Cause mm. that's that, that was, that was the Catholicism I was raised in as it were. So this might be something you and I would uh, have a good time continuing uh, in another, on another medium, because mm -hmm. it would be interesting as somebody who grew up with a philosophy professor as a father, I think right. my, my particular take on, on uh, kind of the history of Christianity uh, lean lends itself to, you know, Aristotle, Plato, like which theologians utilize which philosophers at which times, how those particular uh, philosophers integrate into Christianity and how they're utilized um, and sort of what what you see develop um, kind of out of those schools. And it's it's been fascinating for me to revisit that over the last three years, because I basically spent 15 years between leaving the Roman Catholic Church and covid sort of not paying attention to any of this shit. <laughs> and so it's been really cool to go back and read all of those early church fathers and read the church history. And there's so much more information, dude, that's available in 2023 than there was in 2003. So I would love to do that if you, yeah. 
we don't need to like take up time here, but I'd, I'd be happy to. I think let's it'd be a lot of fun. A, yeah, let's start. Um, I've, I've always wanted to do like an old school letter writing thing and I, we can publish it all on <laughs> been awake. I don't know if you, I don't know how much you've been putting out recently. So I know no, zero. <laughs> yeah. So we can, yeah, we can, we can yeah. host it at, we can host it on been awake of like letters back and forth, trying to explore. Some oh, that'd be super fun. And then, yeah, sure. yeah. We can incorporate some Sufism and uh, Arabian nights too. That would be, yeah, I'm be down. Ideal. Uh, yeah, I'm going to grab a piece of nicotine gum table too, right? Yeah, I was gonna. I'm gonna have a piece of nicotine gum. I wanted to quickly say, I could you all imagine if this is when Elon decides to tune into the stream? Because because given that he owns Twitter, there's a non-zero chance that he that he that he catches some of this. Well, he, but I'll be right back. we have invited him multiple times, uh, setting setting this up. So, uh, Elon, if you're listening, uh, please come on in. Uh, I, I figured Elon was just waiting for Pete to get off before he had the balls to come on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as far as I'm concerned, I like LB or or Caleb or Andrew, any of them being Catholic, it doesn't bother me. I, I might give them a hard time, but I, I really don't care one way or the other. I uh, Because I think that people are called to things at different times and <clears throat> and you find yourself in the position you need to be in at that particular time. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, I, mean it, I also love, I love, I mean, LB is not here to hear me say this, so maybe it's the best time to say it, um, which is a compliment, which is if you're not, uh, entirely versed in, you know, the history and the theology and you're willing to hear it, I mean, and have a conversation, that's the best way to go. I mean, I had forgotten most of this stuff for years and years and, mm. you know, and obviously I was aware that there were Orthodox churches. Like I'm, I have eyes, so I saw them around, but I didn't understand that it answered so many questions I had 20 years ago when I started finding out about it three years ago or yeah, three years ago. So, you know, that has led me to have it kind of foremost on my mind. And I appreciate um, having those conversations and not, for example, on Twitter or Facebook or something, having people be like trying to argue their particular Christian viewpoint and having no idea what they're talking about. Right. It's better to take the time to learn and have honest in-person discussions than to, you know, some like, dude, I'll give you an example. Right. So there was this the, the last conversation I had on Twitter right before Lent, because I haven't been on social media for Lent. I made a joke on Rachel, one of Rachel Wilson's posts. Um, she said all Protestants, blah, 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 or something. And I said, well, you can't really say all Protestants because there's 20,000 different, you know, Thirty-five thousand, but okay. <laughs> There's literally tens of thousands registered with the United States government for tax purposes, right? So you can actually look this up. Not you guys, but like this idiot who responded to me, and he said, "Well, the, it's hard to it's hard to have a conversation when the Orthodox Christians are just spewing papist lies." And I said, "Well, I'm not spewing papist lies, which is no offense, everything the Pope says. Sorry, Frank, but um, yeah." So I was like, "What do you mean?" And he said, well, there's actually four branches. It's the Scots-Irish and the, uh, the the this thing, whatever. And so forgetting the fact that four is three more than one, right? Catholic and Apostolic Church. Um, th that's actually not true. Like you could just go to the United States government, their website on religious organizations that have applied for tax-free status. And there's tens of thousands of Protestant denominations like people have they say these things as if you can't just google and find the answer to it like rather rather easily and so that gets to be really frustrating because people see oh this person has 30 40,000 followers on twitter they're saying there's four streams and not 20,000 
denominations of Protestantism. And it's like, yeah, you're 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 not ultimately. Yes. Right. If you're looking at a certain looking at it a certain way, what you're saying is not untrue in the same way that, like, I'm also saying something true. Right. You're denying the full aspect of the truth to try to argue a point and calling it a papist lie like that's just retarded. So, yeah, so I really appreciate having the conversation with people who are not willing to just speak ridiculous talking points and and really, really want to uh, flesh these things out. The uh, the things that the Enlightenment and the the, uh, Reformation certainly has done is it's it's effectively trying to um, uh, flatten the cross. We talk about flattening the curve. This is sort of flattening the cross because the way I've been looking at a lot, you know, you have the right to left. Uh, basically, uh, the, the understanding of right and wrong, or or or, or, or right and and incorrect, let's say, uh, on a factual level. But the hor- horizontal of the cross is really truth, truth and non-truth or deception. Um, and you have to get those things right because if when you're trying to flatten it out, what we've we've done in the modern world is kind of equate truth with right. And these two things are not always the same. They're not synonymous. You, can, you mean right by correct or right as in like... Yeah, like right. factual. <clears throat> let's take, take the world world of facts and the world of, of the, let's say, metaphysics or morals or principles or whatever you want to call it, right? So the ascending towards God and the descending towards uh, towards the other place. Um, and, you know, in that cross, you can create those quadrants. And essentially, you can you can be standing in truth and get your be factually wrong because maybe you, you know... Uh, you're talking out of school or, or you don't have a, a it's not yet the fact you're Rene Descartes trying to prove the existence of God by rational means. Exactly. Right. It doesn't mean that you're, but doesn't mean that what you, what you, what you're standing in isn't the truth. It's just that you're maybe having a, a problem articulating it. Um, at the same time, you can, you can, um, you can be completely factually right and be living in the line of uh, being world of deception. Uh, so these things aren't exclusive to each other. And that's sort of the, what I look at the ultimate, you know, Adam, you're, you famously said that the, uh, the enlightenment was a mistake. <clears throat> Certainly, I think that was Erickson really. I should, that's probably him. No, I'm pretty sure it was you, but, okay, I mean, I, but yeah, <laughs> I try. Um, but I, I'm sure Matt's maybe uh, mirrored it at some point as well, but it, it's that idea Robert that Peter hears is who I heard say it quite possibly. Um, I just I don't remember the first encountering with and, Adam. And, it's and, correct either way, and right? Father Josiah said it too. Yeah, I mean, pretty much anyone who understands <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I would ask actually, LB, I mean, what, what would be the difference between Descartes' um, uh, ontological argument and Thomas Aquinas's ontological argument? I mean, they're, they're using the same, as a matter of fact, I think Descartes is, is progressing. Uh, well, I mean, Anselm of Canterbury first and then Aquinas and then particularly uh, Descartes as we move into sort of enlightenment rationalism kind of leads to the Spinozian school, right? Kind of moves us into this sort of uh, proto, um, what's the word, accelerationism kind of Nick Land sort of. And you end up at Nick Land, really, if you start at Descartes and Descartes ultimately is just using the same empiricist rationalist method as Aquinas and Aquinas is basically like modern Roman Catholicism. So Caleb, will you just jump on the stream and stop like texting us? Oh, I'm not even looking at the, he's a zoomer. So no, is the answer. (laughs) Um, That would be, I mean, again, not to co-op this, this stream, but that would be an interesting thing for us to, uh, to have. Yeah. I would say, and cause you might have me at a slight disadvantage. The difference would in part be that, would have more to do with the science have more to do with the, the 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 scientific revolution writ large so whereas like an Aqu- aquinas was perhaps and correct me where i go wrong 
was doing was saying like I don't think he says you need a rationalist case. He's like, but here's one in case you want it. Um, mm. Whereas Descartes was saying, well, without this, we can't move forward. But again, I might, I might, I might have my facts wrong on that. So, yeah, that, that's probably not unfair. I mean, they're they're definitely dealing with the technology and technology, including rhetoric of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think you know there's something like, um, I mean, I I could. I would go back to Augustine if I want to really get deep into this, but I think Anselm's a good place to start because he's the one, and there's a good Eastern critique of Anselm's ontological argument that, that Jay Dyer did like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or something. It's not written very well, but the, uh, the argument is, is pretty good. Um, you can probably send that or put that in the chat later. Um, but sort of opening up that idea that you can kind of prove God from the ground up. And Actually, Caleb's I, I got the heard, answer in the chat. He's he's like Aquinas starts with sense perception. Descartes starts with the mind. So that that's right. No, but Aquinas difference. is yeah. an empiricist. Like, and and empiricism is. Also, I would say Descartes actually has a better starting point for presuppositional apologetics than Aquinas does, because Aquinas mm. is taking ra- like strict empiricism, which we find out in David Hume, just basically is not a thing that can get you any reality at all which leads the West to psychology and to abandon the empiricism a hundred years ago. So I I would say actually uh, uh, Descartes actually on the better path, but I would take, to be honest with you, the Van Til sort of presuppositionalist Protestant argument. uh, And I would apply it to Eastern Orthodoxy, right? I think that would be the better way because what you're doing eventually, uh, ultimately in any philosophical system you have to at some point presuppose your meta level ideas, right? And so if the atheist is going to say, if they're going to be honest, they're going to say we can't know anything in that particular worldview, but they're mostly not. They're going to say, well, we have to assume the mind. We have to assume reason. We have to assume logic, whatever. Um, okay, why do we have to assume that, right? You, there's no philosophical justification for making that case. Uh, and I would say when you get to somebody like Thomas Aquinas, he's in exactly the same trap. There is no justification to make the claims he's making at least Descartes is starting from a random point and assuming that is his presupposition so that's mm-hmm. actually a better argument uh to speak to that's caleb austro thomism yes yeah and, so and, I, and I, as... would, I would say well i mean clearly clearly uh, aquinas is an empiricist like it clearly is i mean if you've read the summa theologia or summa contra gentiles like that's exactly what he's doing um so yeah i'm not sure what you mean by he's not an empiricist but just my thoughts. I th- an interesting jumping off point, and I think it connects to enlightenment is a mistake. And I think I can bring it back to Musk. Let's see. <laughs> is what well, is is no, but it's it's this thing called therapy. I've been trying does. to find the. I've been trying to find the. the <laughs> way back. Yeah. Is is um, is is this thing we call therapy in the modern day? And how many people who go to therapy aren't better? And like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and, it, and I think and I think it has to do with a spiritual dearth. Fundamentally, I think sure. if you don't have a complimentary because in that in that affair, if you take because like uh, like Freud was Freud was, you know, this is from the departed. But like, you know, Freud said that the Irish were beyond psychoanalysis. And I think kind of going back to to um, Carlos's point about Mexicans and Me- Mexicans and Catholicism. It's like it's just it's similar with the Irish. It's like, yeah, we're just, you know, that, that why do the Irish drink? The Irish drink so they don't sin. If you don't sin, you don't, you know, if you don't sin, you get into heaven. So that's why the Irish drink. 
is kind of like a is kind of like an old story as it relates to that. And I think there's something to the agreement of just I'm just going to muddle through this existence we have and understand and I and, and when you're younger you don't see it as much but and just understand that some things are beyond my control and that I can't be in control of everything and that I'm not going to get my way and so I either and 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 people are going to rub me and and people are going to piss me off and so then the decision is what am I going to do in response to that and I and like and some people spend so and this isn't um I would say like in terms of like traumatic experiences and stuff like that, there's, there's clearly a benefit towards with like cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, it's, it certainly helped people, but what I, what I've also kind of noticed just standing back is like a lot of times it's because people don't have a good structure, a good family structure, a good structure of people around them where they can be open and honest. Um, with you know with people that they're supposed to be close to and then that that in turn that in turn leads them to believe that therapy is the be all end all and to to wit i think i think i missed out on the second date because i said i I didn't like therapy even though i respect the fact that people um go to it and you know well that's the thing the thing with psychology comes like the whole freud you know jung thing comes out of the fact that around that night you know mid early to mid 19th century um basically the entire empiricist school realized that david hume was right 200 years or 100 years earlier uh, and they abandoned empiricism and said well all we can do is kind of play around in the mind now mm-hmm. so that's yeah of course you're 100 right but it starts with hume and and basically kant who realizes that you can't actually prove sense data with sense data so when somebody says if by empiricism you mean he believes the real world exists no i'm talking about the peripatetic axiom Right. I'm saying that what's in the mind is known through sense data. Like, you know, you can't prove sense data with sense data. I can't make a truth claim and prove a truth claim with sense data. That's what I mean by empiricism. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and uh, 150 years ago, every single person who was an empiricist in on the planet who's an academic realized this and they abandoned it. So what you get is, um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of Christians and almost all atheists who don't haven't read anything about this. And they're continuing as if these words don't mean the things that their own academics realized they meant 150 years ago. So, yeah, that's uh, you're 100 percent right. Like, that's why modern psychology doesn't work, because it doesn't have a connection to the spiritual, because it's a product of all of these people who (laughs) realized that you couldn't prove sense data with sense data, but rejected God. So they went, well, we can't do any of these things. I guess we just have to, like, dope people up and make up stories about their dreams. Right. And then you end up here. So yeah. I think uh, if someone's going to say, if by empiricism you mean, I think I would go read David Hume. Um, I'm happy to like send somebody a bunch of Hume stuff uh, and then realize that like this is the tradition that comes out of medieval Roman Catholicism that ends up at Hume in the first place through Descartes. It's Descartes, Hume, Kant, right? And all the way up. So, yeah. Can I ask Adam a question real quick? So... I was, I'm, I'm reading a book called the illness and cure through hmm. the Orthodox tradition. One of the things the guy says is that, um, reason is self deification <clears throat> and that the difference between Orthodox Christianity and other forms of Christianity is the, the, the willingness to push out reason and imperial imperialism and to f- 
focus on the noose and to you mean imper empiricism or imperialism empiricism okay. sorry gotcha and, and to focus on the noose and and to cure the noose to to cure those scabs from the noose so that you can see clearly through noetic forms the truth of of the world and the way it was created and who we are meant to worship the western mind focuses so much on its own reason and sanitizes so much of the noetic experience how is what is it that makes it different for some, those of us that find orthodoxy I, I i've been trying to figure this out and since you've moved from catholicism into orthodoxy you've had gone from kind of that reason kind of mindset to the more noetic style like what was it that moved for you well, there is no concept of the noose in Western Christianity. It doesn't exist, right? It wasn't something that was ever, I mean, basically Western Christianity has adopted um, Augustine for the most part, uh, mm -hmm. which is fine. I mean, Augustine's an, a, a saint in the Orthodox Church as well, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good stuff in, in, in St. Augustine for sure. For um, now, just, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's, okay, that's fair. But I think probably forever. I mean, he wrote a lot of stuff. There's like five, five things that really like stuck that I would say kind of, and it wasn't even him. It was like some of that's not even, didn't even become doctrine in the, in the, in the West for, for hundreds of years. Uh, and some of it still isn't too, which is to be totally fair to, to St. Augustine. Um, but there was never a concept of the news. There was always a concept of eventually what Calvin calls total depravity. Like that's really the culmination of Western Christianity is this sort of pessimistic anthropology of the human entity. Um, and in the East, there was always a very positive anthropology. It was always seen as everything that was created by God was good. God is still acting in the world, right? Uh, through Christ and in the Holy, uh, sorry, in Christ and through the Holy Spirit, uh, you, you, through theosis, you can still interact and connect with uh, divination. Um, and that just, and human nature is not, is, is is good because god created it it can never be evil it can never be bad right so that sort of continues in two different directions um the idea of the news just didn't stick in the west um and i don't i don't see how it could have with that kind of idea of what human beings are um yeah the the idea that there's a spiritual connection to the divine uh, sounds super new agey to people who've never heard it. But I mean, you can go f as far back as St. John Chrysostom in the fifth century. And he's talking about this and this is 500 years before the schism. Right. So it shouldn't be alien to the West, but, um, but yeah, it is. And, and, and you know what, sorry, Adam, maybe, maybe just give a, give a brief de description of the news for our, uh, what, for our non-Orthodox. Yeah, so it's, it's basically, uh, a, a, basically a spiritual organ. Right. And it, it, it's your ability to sort of tap into the divine energies. And the West also doesn't have the essence energies distinction, which means that, uh, for example, Aquinas points out that all of God's energies in the world are created, which means that if they're created, there is absolutely no way for you to interact directly with the divine. So what you end up having this absolute divine simplicity doctrine that ends up destroying Western Christianity is essentially if you somehow through all of these various toils and troubles make it to quote unquote heaven you're basically staring at god this big white circle 
and you're staring at him for all of eternity. And that's absolute divine simplicity. And that's absurd. That was never traditional Christianity. So, um, yeah, I think the, the idea of created versus uncreated energies uh, sort of div di divorces human beings from their natural connection to the divine. Uh, and that that causes a causes a huge problem because that what you end up having then is a sort of rationalistic uh, ground up approach to seeing a tree and trying to figure out how to get to God from the tree. Whereas in the e in the East, um, the tree is just a manifestation of multiple uh, manifestations of God's energies that are still active and working in the world. This is a huge distinction that leads to. Um, well, I mean, uh, for example, um, St. Gregory Palamas says to Barlam in the 13th century, your idea of absolute divine simplicity will lead the West to atheism. It says it flat out. Um, mm. That's exactly what we saw. Like absolute divine simplicity is really, uh, it comes out of Augustine, but it really gets codified in the first millennium. Um, and that's sort of the thing. And, and you have to have absolute divine simplicity because you have the filioque. If you have the filioque, you're subordinating the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son, and you're destroying the balance of the Trinity. When you destroy the balance of the Trinity, you end up with a monad. You end up with the same type of God that and Islam and Judaism has. And you have no connection to that God, even though, of course, every Roman Catholic and every normal Protestant, right, evangelical or Baptist or, or Calvinist or whatever, would, would agree with the quote-unquote Trinity. They actually don't have the same Trinitarian theology that the East has. They don't have it because what they what really if you follow that logic train, excuse me, to its logical conclusion, you end up at a monad that doesn't know you, doesn't care about you and can't possibly interact with your life. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm just now questioning whether I was actually raised Orthodox because <laughs> I, I know. And I, I just I just in, in all like. <laughs> you just might get it here's the thing when i when i, I you know i was raised somewhat orthodox but certainly more in the roman catholic traditions because of being well in, you're in, ukrainian in Montreal. Right? yeah well my, my my mother's family is okay um but when i rejected uh god and, and was an atheist for 32 years when i came back to it um from my own personal revelation some things just clicked right away because what i did was i said okay look i'm obviously wrong about everything so I'm going to, instead of reading things from an atheist critical perspective, I'm going to reread this stuff on a non-critical perspective. And I had no resistance to the ideas. Like mm -hmm. energies and essences hit me like immediately. Like it's like, oh, well, that of course clicks. And if we're, and if we take the presupposition that God is real, and if I, and if I accept the Trinity as I, as the orthodoxy, uh, as orthodoxy places it, or just as I think Christianity places it, you, you can extract it from the, from the, even from the Bible. It's like if you don't resist these things at all, they all make sense. So I think maybe it's like you could have been raised Roman Catholic, but if you're not resistant to the, these fundamental truths, they're mm -hmm. going to make sense to you, and you're going to no, essentially be orthodox. But I was also taught a lot of this stuff too, hmm. and, that, and that's with variations that's, though. That's probably that's probably. I mean, obviously it's true. You're saying it's true. Um, yeah. It 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 is. <laughs> you know. It's hard to, you know, look at every, for example, every individual Orthodox Christian or every individual Roman Catholic or every, mm -hmm. like, God forbid, every individual Protestant who wanted to be here for a you know, million years trying to talk to them uh, and and realize that, you know, I, I had critiques of the Roman Catholic Church when I was younger that would have been answered if somebody had given me any kind of an indication of the church fathers. 
right? They would have been I, like the, my critiques were on the right track. Hmm. And in my experience, I found most of the people who were teaching me Roman Catholicism were basically reading a script and mailing it in the same way a public school teacher would adhere to a curriculum and basically yeah. expose it to their kids. Uh, and that left me kind of searching for answers because I wanted to be a Roman Catholic and I had answers, uh, questions that they couldn't answer. And I, I'm sure if we had the Internet in the early 2000s, the way we have it now, uh, I would have been able to find answers from people because there are great, I mean, really great Roman Catholic theologians out there um, who are doing incredible work, who are stumbling mm -hmm. onto a lot of these things. Um, so I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm I'm picking on any particular group. There, there, for example, there are lots of Orthodox Christians who just go through, and you can sort of just go through the motions in the Orthodox Church because the liturgy will teach you the entire faith. Right, and I think and your don't point theology, you know. Right. And what's your point is that most of modern Catholicism kind of revolves around that just going through the motions or at least a little bit. Uh, but the point I was the, the, the thought that was sticking in my mind, too, was also, um, I guess, in maybe uh, whether I was ex explicitly taught these things is maybe one thing. There's definitely I mean, the connection between these sorts of things, the idea that there's more that you could discover through the liturgy and through scripture and stuff like that, appro approximating what the Orthodox refer to as theosis. I kind of always looked at that as like a door you could walk through if you so chose. And in fact, and like, that's what the, that's what the monks, that that's what monks were there to do in effect. And maybe that's just my, my categorization, you know, working at it. So I never really thought of these things. I, I, and I, 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 I don't think it's a matter of, you know, like, you know, they're, we're Catholic there, you know, there are plenty of saints post, you know, post schism, but um, well, just to be just to be clear, the Roman Catholic Church just decided very recently that St. Gregory Palamas is a saint after he was a heretic for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Roman Catholic Church uh, granted him sainthood. So, mm -hmm. yeah, they got that one right after they got it wrong, but they got it right. So, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so it's just an inter it's just always interesting in these discussions for me because I don't know. I don't know how much of it was my own just natural sense of things versus but but some of it was definitely and i and again I, I the connection i made tonight was at least the 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 the, the benedictine tradition and just that Here's, older form that connection to an older form of um uh yeah the, the benedictine tradition is, is a good one because it, it starts um it starts very early so it doesn't have this sort of um that's what i was going to ask isn't up, that pre-vatican too oh it's oh, it's uh, pre everything it's the 500s AD. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's right after the church father. It's like yeah, after the time very, of the very early. Yeah. But gotcha. what ends up happening, you know, uh, six, seven hundred years later and kind of up to the present, the Roman Catholic monastic orders sort of end up doing a very different thing and mass than the Eastern uh, monastic orders do, which is the Western tend to focus very much on sort of the community and getting out into the community and sort of um, friars. Yeah, kind of getting involved and in bringing like the commoners' lives up, and the eastern, um, the eastern uh, sort of hesychasts focus a lot more on like uh, inner uh, uh, sanctification and praying, and like the hesychast movement is very much about achieving theosis kind of for yourself. So they sort of go that route first, and then bring it back to the community. And I think both of those routes are are good, and it's probably advantageous that we had both. Mm -hmm. Right there, there was two different ways of going about it. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the Catholic school that I went to, that was part of the parish that I attended, um, for a short amount of time, I think between sixth grade and eighth grade was run by Benedictine monks. Um, 
I think I think they were Benedictine. Well, my my elementary school parish was run by the same monks that I then went to high school with. Okay, yeah. And there, and 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 by the way, the community is being rocked by a scandal. I can tell you guys more about it offline, but it's you know, so it's not it's not all it's not all roses. I don't want to make that I want to make that clear. But. Well, the the school in those three years was definitely uh, much more theologically focused and holy than it was when it was run by secular people prior. I mean, I remember that I got a lot more answers from them. They were much more, uh, you know, profound in their theological understanding, um, you know, ultimately not helpful enough, but much, much more than when it was run by like lay people. So, yeah, I have, I have a lot of good things to say about that, about that. Let's, I, I think I figured out a way to get this back to Elon, sort of um, oh, shit. one of <laughs> I got it. Theosis is, the, is, is, is our way back. Hmm. Oh, so one going. thing that I keep hitting that I keep seeing now um, with a lot of let's call it uh, Twitter orthos or people who are who are who are encountering orthodoxy who aren't who aren't considering themselves orthodox who aren't observing who aren't inquiring, but a lot of the questions I get either directly to me or see out there is surrounding theosis. Like theosis seems to be this very kind of like interest level. Uh, because it's, you know, I think when you hear about it, people misread and go, oh, I can become like God. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> okay, calm your jets. Um, it, so I think that concept, it's, it's, it seems to be the, the connective tissue between, let's say, orthodoxy and Gnosticism is this, is this unification with God uh, idea. And of course, you know, Gnostics go one direction, and Orthodoxy goes another direction. And I want to, I want to start, I want to hear all you, all of you. Let's let's get into that, right? Um, and hopefully, we don't get into, into any into into any uh, heresies. But um, that seems to be driving. If I look at the technocrats and sort of this technocratic order that's that's trying to establish itself, certainly there's that Gnostic. You, you know, becoming God, man becoming God uh, motif in transhumanism that is undeniable. It's, I mean, they're basically just saying it without saying it. Um, and, you know, I think it's, again, it's that inversion of, of theosis that, you know, we're looking at it from, let's say, an orthodox perspective going, this is really dangerous. Um, you're messing with things that shouldn't be messed with and you're doing it in ways that are, that are purely demonic because, you know, you're you're not being respectful to the actual concept of theosis. So let's. So I, I think I've, I've I'm I'm starting to mumble my way into obscurity here. Well, I think I think what you're driving at is is the point to become a god unto yourself, or is the point to participate in God's glory? Exactly. Yeah. So the the current manifestation of Gnosticism that we're seeing play out with like the Fabian Milner elites, right? The Rosicrucians, that whole kind of uh, you know, ultimately the groups, plural, that are driving sort of the, the current the current conversation, the global elites, the Klauses of the world. The idea here is that God created the, their God, created the world, um, and then completely lost connection with it. And the only way that God can know himself is if human beings sort of alchemize the material world and understand it. And as we move through this in, this dialectic, we are constantly moving toward progressing to making God know himself. Right. And so that's sort of that, that whole movement. I mean, if anybody wants to get more into this, like we can, we can do it another time. Yeah. But that's and here, sort and of here's, their, go ahead. 
No, so, and here, so here's where the Gnostic idea connects back to the, the subject of, or, you know, the ostensible subject for today's conversation, which is, and, you know, to the point is Elon Musk has talked about an interview specifically that he, it, he's like, I, he said something to the effect of, I can, I can maybe try to pull up the clip here when someone else is talking where like other people have kind of thought of him as like an AI maximalist, whereas he views himself in more of a pragmatic sense. Like he mm -hmm. just sees AI as an inevitability. And so how do you counter AI? Well, you counter AI by creating a human, by, by, by allowing AI to interface with the human brain, the human consciousness, and thereby becoming something more, yeah. um, which that again, but that, 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 <clears throat> that, that, that contradicts certain theological notions, but just to the subject of the, but just to the subject of the idea of transcendence of a you know like what what is what does that actually mean and I, I do i would say like it is a false transcendence to say that you live in a virtual reality for the rest of your life because you're literally admitting that you're living in something that's fake right whereas like ostensibly you actually if you're going to transcend it would be more real or a different level of real than what we currently experience and so it's it, so it's a question of what direction you're moving in that regard hmm. which is kind of an interesting connection i think to libertarianism vis-a-vis -vis liberalism vis-a-vis -vis the enlightenment which is to say you you look at this you look at this libertarian framework and you're like oh see look at all the things that people are getting wrong but then invariably you end up you end up still defending the liberal order which itself is the root of the which itself is the root of the uh, right. of the decay of civilization right as, as it were yeah there, there's really no way out of this without the presupposition of god there really isn't and um, for somebody like Elon Musk, yeah, I would agree with his practicality. I mean, based in that worldview, he's doing, I think, the best to capitalize on, you know, current trends and move them in a direction that he seems to be, you know, in his philosoph uh, philosophical worldview is moving them in the direction that he thinks is the best for people based on the information that he's given. I, I would totally give him that. Um, I would say in that worldview, because all of this socialism, communism, liberalism, libertarianism all comes from the same scientific, materialist, atheist, rationality wormhole that there really isn't any way he can't end up being controlled by the elites in one way or another. Um, and the same way that every, you know, great mind, good or evil throughout the last however many thousands of years has been controlled by these people. Um, ultimately, he can't do for you know, an Orthodox Christian or maybe a Roman Catholic or maybe in some aspects, Protestant Christian, uh, he can't do what Christianity says needs to be done. No matter what he does in that ethos, he can't give us what we're looking for. So ultimately, as much good as he believes he's trying to do, he's somebody we can't follow. We like we can't follow him in the ways that he's sort of kind of Christian and ignore the ways that he sort of kind of isn't. Like it's a full package. So understanding that he's ultimately going in his ideology, going to be a tool of the elites, the elite banks, like the people who actually run things, he's ultimately going to be led in that direction, regardless of his intentions, means there's no way somebody who accepts traditional Christianity could possibly look to him for guidance. Like we just can't do that. And so that would be, I guess if I have to go fed, I guess I'm going fed. But <laughs> I mean, I, I would just say he's, like ignorable, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I think there's something to also be said of like, uh, as a matter of time, you don't know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll reach that point. Uh, maybe. 
there, I mean, I think there's, a, I mean, there, I, would, would we have all thought we were going to be in exactly this position 10 years ago to where we are now? Me, certainly not. I, I mean, um, his, his brain, I think the way his brain is wired, I don't think it's wired for what he would probably consider to be irrational presuppositions. Right, right, right. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. Well, no, yeah. but I was actually, I was, I was getting at this earlier in the conversation, which is like maybe the uniqueness of his, because yeah, he's, you know, this crazy guy that works like 20 hours a day and like that's, that's what he considers to be normal. Um, the question is what use can that be put to? And I think it can be put to a lot of good use within certain contexts, but as it relates to the deeper, the deeper question that we're trying to kind of answer here with the friend or fed series, at least a little bit is like, I do wonder if perhaps this is worth batting around a little bit. If he is not shielded from some of the spiritual, uh, from some of the spiritual warfare that goes around everybody else kind of because of that, because of that, um, fixture you know because of the the idea of like of being so focused on things and being so focused on systems and like and again going back to that engineering archetype inputs and outputs and design and trying to design perfection um Mm -hmm. and so and and which would which would in turn not which would kind of which is where we've uh, as we've circled around a lot of times in this conversation where it's difficult where it's actually difficult to place him to where he and like so because there's there's a part of me that says, okay, so final judgment. He gets there, he's like, he's like, hmm, okay, this works. <laughs> Glory be to God. Well, I mean, because physics is kind of getting to that point too, right? Like I've heard quantum quite a few people, yeah. yeah, quantum physics kind of getting to the to the God question, and it's almost as if we're getting to a scientific proof of God, where you know I, I, I've said something along the lines of like, you know, trying to reason your, your yourself around Christ just leads you back to Christ. It certainly happened with me where you got to a point where like, okay, look, my rationalism, my, my rational imperialism, materialism mind can't make sense of these things. Like these things are happening and I can't make sense of them. And there doesn't seem to be any other sense making available. Like there's no, I'm left with ideologies that, that are not uh, worldviews. They, they don't have answers for these things. And they, it's like, and they can't, it's, it's not, it's, it's just a failure of this, uh, of it's a limitation, let's say not a failure. Um, so when you're presented with those questions, with those metaphysical uh, uh, truths that, that hit you in the face, and it certainly hit me over over the last few years with, you know, the world as it is, uh, then you're you're stuck seeking answers where there where the where current modernity doesn't even have a question. Like it's they don't even they can't, they can't even formulate the thought, and then you're like, okay, well, who who is like where 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 could I even possibly go to? And then you're like, oh, well. These these crazy people over here seem to have some good ideas about this, um, which kind of dives you into into that world. Yeah. Metro- yeah. Metropolitan. Uh, let's see if I can get his name right. Hierothemos, um, <clears throat> which he wrote. Um, he wrote a uh, Orthodox uh, psychotherapy. He also wrote the illness and cure, which is one of the books I'm. Re- right reading at the moment he also wrote a book um on theosis and one of the points he makes very early on in the book it's a very short book uh i can send you all the audio version of it i I think i put it in the uh group chat lb at one point um because uh rachel had some questions about theosis so i think i put it in there for her but I could send it to you if you want it. He makes a point very early on that man 
and this includes Adam, was created and designed with a desire to pursue theosis. When I met Father Joseph, my the first question that popped into my head because that book was fresh on my mind was, is the attempt to create gods out of men a perverted way of shortcutting theosis? And so when I, when I look at how an Elon acts or a Klaus Schwab acts or any of these elites act, all I look at them doing is putting themselves in a situation to where they can be worshipped and glorified in the minds of men. It's a distraction to the layman and to the population. And so I concern myself very little anymore with the way they're acting and what they're doing. Yet I realize and I recognize, as as Pete said when he was leaving the podcast a while ago, that he's a friend today and he's a fed in 10 years. Hmm. Because I recognize the pattern in which we are entangled in and if you're unable to walk through the forest and identify snakes lying in the grass, you're going to miss the patterns that are hitting you in everyday mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And that that is the, the most complex training that you can incorporate yourself is being let alone in the wilderness for, for a week at a time and be able to identify the threats and, and those things that are helpful to you and when when i'm watching elon he's right at this very moment he's like um he's like the frog that that was he's like the scorpion that needed a ride across the pond and so he asked the frog and the frog said no you're a scorpion you're gonna sting me and we're gonna drown and die Mm -hmm. and elon said no 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 i really need your help I need to get across that pond. And so the frog allows that scorpion to jump on its back. They get about three quarters of the way across the pond and the scorpion stings that frog. And they both drown and die. And as they're drowning, the frog says, why did you do that? We're going to, we're both going to die. And the scorpion said, well, you knew I was a scorpion. Right. It's in, it's in his nature. Right. Right. Well, because part of this nascent right, you know, whatever right means order, you know, order orient an order oriented political worldview. Let's say, let's say that, uh, just to, just to, just to syllabitize it, you know, mm-hmm. as in the, for the, uh, a, you know, there's a bumper sticker from hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Okay. So two things. One, I did just Google it. Um, that, and it turns out that's the slogan for when LB runs for president. Yeah. <laughs> When I'm in, you know, uh, you mean when I'm installed as Caesar? Um, <laughs> uh, but no, th- so so like so apparently he actually, and I do remember this. When he was on the Babylon B. He did talk about this, uh, and so they said like, you know, we're a ministry to make this church. We're wondering, could you do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? 
And Musk, so the story here says, Musk sat stunned for a few seconds, and he responded, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. There's some great wisdoms in the teachings of Jesus, and I agree with those teachings. Things like turn the other cheek are very important as opposed to an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. Forgiveness is important in treating people as you would wish to be treated. Love thy neighbor as yourself. But hey, if Jesus is saving people, I mean, I won't stand in his way. Musk added, sure, I'll be saved. Why not? So literally, it was what I, that's probably where I got the idea from. That sounds about right. Yeah, the, I mean, I think he's, now, you know, if the if the elites are going to use these people for their own means, I mean, why can't, you know, we use them for our own means, too? And exactly. if there's a way to, you know, manipulate or move or nudge folks like Elon in a direction that, you know, is advantageous to our side, even if he doesn't ultimately convert to Christianity. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't see anything wrong well, with that. And it says That's... he was baptized in this. I don't know. I, I could dig, I'll dig a little bit and see, but he says, and he also said when the, when the dragon capsule was landing in the Gulf of Mexico, which is like obviously a huge, a huge step for SpaceX. He says, I'm not a very religious person, but I prayed for this one. So it, it, it is interesting that, you know, okay, we didn't actually, we weren't really thinking that this whole tie, this would tie into Elon. I didn't bother to do any research in this, even though maybe I should have given the course of how these conversations tend to go. Um, <laughs> but so, but it is, but so you need to know everything about everything at all times. Doesn't it, it feel like that though? A lot. But, well, the, the fact that the, what I'm trying to get at is like Elon is fine for right now, just like Vivek Ramaswamy is fine for right now. Peter Thiel was fine for right now, but you better keep your fucking foot next close to a lily pad because one of these days, these scorpions are going to sting us. That's true. That's hundred yes. percent. Right. Well, yeah. so yeah. here's, here's the underpinning that I think is, is possibly leading everyone astray here, especially in, in the more, let's say, let's say the more moral liberal framework that we can, we can agree our, you know, friends to, to a degree is that all of them seem to be centered around this idea of ending suffering. Uh, to removal of suffering from from hum, from human life. Yeah, but they think and, they can do it. Well, that's it. So not not only is that a impossible, uh, you know, nice nice theory, wrong wrong species. But also, the the more you reduce suffering, the more you den denigrate humanity. The more you lead us away from God. That was you know one of the more powerful things about orthodoxy. And again, not to harp on, but not to make this just an orthodox stream, but um, is that you know orthodoxy takes on suffering and sacrifice head on. It's pr it's one of the primary mechanisms of the church to get, to give that context and if you're not context, suffering, yeah, if you're not yeah. suffering, you're obviously moving in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, if Matt was here, he would tell the story that he was related to him uh, by Father uh, Josiah, Josiah, I believe, yeah. um, where he relates the story of of uh, somewhere in 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 Russia. Let's say uh, a woman comes into into church just bailing her eyes out uh, during liturgy. The priest tells her to you know st stand aside. Father meets with her afterwards and goes, "What's wrong?" And she's like, "Father, you know, I, my husband and I have always been successful. Our businesses are, are making money. Our, fa our 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 kids are are well grown and uh, and doing great, and they have children. We're well fed. Everything's going great in our lives." He goes, "Okay, so what's the problem?" She says, "She's like, Father, God has abandoned us because uh, we're and the the idea is that you know, it's if you're not suffering, then God isn't." isn't pushing you forward is, you know, God is there with you when, he, when you're suffering the most. Uh, and so I think that's something for the, for the liberal mind to get their head out of um, is that, you know, suffering is part of God's love. It's not exclusionary. It's not something that's, that's over here. And that, I mean, that was the thing that led me away from God originally and was the one thing that, that brought me back in completely. 
was understanding circling that square mm. that these things are not exclusionary principles and they're necessary and it's weird that you hear guys like joe rogan and a bunch of other people talk about these things indirectly not in any in any religious way he, he was talking to um, russell brand i think recently and i caught one part of their talking about jujitsu and working out and suffering and all this kind of stuff oh sorry Russell Brand would be an interesting one to put on the docket. Uh, he's he's his name's on the list, um, and everything they're talking about. I'm like, if you just put this into an orthodox framework, it would be orthodoxy. Like they're talking orthodoxy without like doing fasting, suffering. You know, suffering is a key for for advancement. You have to go through these things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all there. It's just you you know you're talking it in a secular framework. Um, <clears throat> Not saying that that's necessarily that that's the bridge to bring them over to our side because I'm not even interested in bringing anyone over to my side necessarily. But it's like the foundational uh, uh, noose is there. We just have to like let people see it. Like it, it, if we can if we can model that model suffering in some way, <laughs> uh, which is hell 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 a cell. But <laughs> well, that's that might another. Be sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah, no, no. i'm just saying that's maybe the way to restore the west if that's yeah that's that's, what that's really doing. the you know it's funny we were having dinner uh over my mother's house um uh sunday night and we're right at the end of it we we're talking a little bit about kind of orthodoxy and roman catholicism and she grew up in that very strict slovak kind of slovak is you know czechoslovakia at that time right uh, when my grandparents came over here it was still kind of part of the ussr um but that sort of catholic mentality uh she kind of broke away from it because what she said was um she grew up with a god that hated her right and that was what was always pushed was punishment 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 and not that anyone would say god hates you no one no one would ever say that right in the history of catholicism god doesn't hate you but you constantly sort of have to climb this ladder of suffering that he is throwing down on you against your will um and it was really interesting to hear her say that because she's adopted a much more liberal kind of Norbus Ordo style Roman Catholicism since, which is basically just Protestantism, um, which is which attempted in you know 1517 to undermine that by going in the polar opposite direction. Um, and orthodoxy had just never fallen into that trap in the first place. It had always seen suffering as a gift in order to grow and become closer to God, not as something that was being thrown down on you because you were a horrible person. And it takes centuries for that to kind of codify in the two separate ways that it does. Um, but it's striking when you go to, well, really, you'd have to go to like a traditional Latin mass and kind of see it. It's like Vatican II sort of alleviated some of that. And now the Roman Catholic God really is just buddy Jesus. Um, so it was comforting to her to have something like the the new modern Catholic mass because it alleviated all of those concerns from before, which I think is what Vatican II was attempting to do. It seems like that's what they wanted to do is connect more to the people in a way that was not uh, angry God who wants to throw you into the fires of hell. Uh, the problem when you do that, though, you are removing any real context of there actually being something that is important in the liturgical process itself. And it just becomes sort of a process you go through and a, and Ultimately, what it ends up being is four walls and a pulpit, right? It ends up being rock bands and a, an hour long sermon. It ends up having no real connection to the divine and the liturgy. The divine liturgy is a participation in heavenly worship. It is the worship that is always going on. 
in the, the whole council of God, in the heavens, with the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, who are constantly worshiping, we are partaking in that cosmology on Sunday in the divine liturgy for that specific period of time. That is a big difference between just doing a ritual for the sake of doing a ritual, right? It's huge, 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 huge. Um, and I got I to gotta bounce off because we're actually getting up early to go see uh, Father Andrew Steve McDamick in Long Island tomorrow for a lecture. Oh, nice. Um, which just fell in my lap and it was like 20 bucks. So I'm like, yeah, we live right there. We'll go. But I wanted to just real quick, cause I know Caleb's not here. Um, but he wrote, uh, if you don't mind me doing this real quick, Hume's empiricism cannot be divorced from his naturalism. Are you saying Aquinas was a naturalist? I'm sorry if it's no longer relevant. So Aquinas wasn't a naturalist because the naturalist school wasn't really invented in the 13th century. Um, but if he's listening to this later and he wants to read something on this, there's a good paper from Paulo Grady from Trinity college. Uh, called Aquinas and naturalism that he can look up. And also I would check if out, you send me, if you send me the link to it or, or send it to me, uh, I'll try to Facebook. I'll, I I'll have that pulled up here. I can, I can text you uh, a messenger afterward. Yeah. Uh, and then also he should check out WBO Quine. Quine is a, uh, basically the person who killed empiricism. Uh, I would read his paper and also Russ Mannion, uh, wrote a really good paper on this sort of the death of empiricism and ties in Roman Catholic and orthodoxy. So I can send you those uh three links either tonight or tomorrow and you can throw them in if caleb uh wants to uh sober up and check those out so <laughs> uh adam okay. i just dropped in the private chat before you get out that uh the uh, one of the monks in particular that i that i grew up with was a world-renowned scholar on monastic life so cool. you can find his i just uh, t talking about like just the the depth like what the way you guys talk about the orthodox priests is Again, just very reminiscent of the monks that I that I that I uh, I was surrounded by growing up. So you can Gold look up some of his Rip Ripperger Rippinger. Oh, Ripinger! I typed it wrong. Shoot. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, dude, I'll I'll totally check it out. Hey, mm -hmm. thanks, guys, man, for this. I appreciate it. Thank you for Adam. Uh, do, your plugs. Do, so. do your plugs. Do your plugs. Well, if if you want to check out the Age of Information, it's on uh, YouTube or any um, like audio podcast or whatever. I I try to do like once every two weeks. Um, you know, life, business, world, you know, the world gets in the way. We're getting married in four months. There's a lot going on with our with our businesses right now. I'm trying to do I'm trying to sit down and just talk to the screen for an hour, two hours and do like courses and lectures and stuff. It's just really not in my personality type. So I'm trying to train myself and practice it. Uh, so hopefully there'll be like more content. I would not be guests every time. But uh, yeah, so the age of information, you can just look at that. It's basically like a green and blue cross is the logo um yeah and if you want to check it out check it out and listen i appreciate it guys anytime man you're always you're always you're always welcome man deuces god bless and then there was two uh do you want you guys want to wrap this up because uh my daughter is now pulling donuts out of places i have no idea where she's finding donuts <laughs> sure <laughs> um <laughs> So, okay, uh, final thoughts. Final thoughts on Elon Musk, uh, on anything we've covered, which is basically all of history and uh, and the church. <laughs> I love these. I love these, man. We haven't done one in a while. This is the first one of the year, um, and uh, I miss these. Because <clears throat> we've done distant roundtables, which are much more topical. We kind of stay on more on topic, uh, whereas these guys, these things just kind of go, as anyone who's stuck around this long uh, can can, ver can verify, goes goes what weird and wonderful places. So, um again thank you thank you everyone who's been listening and thank you uh to all the guests uh it's always very very humbling for me uh, to take part of this stuff so uh, but anyways enough about me um 
Tommy, LB, any final thoughts, wrap up about Elon Musk uh, or what we've talked about today? So I think I'll, I'll, I'll go first. So I think I'm going to have to say friend. Um, and I'm going to put that, I'm going to say, given that the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I, I do think everything, what, what he's done as a titan of industry is, and what he says in, when, he's, when he's making his pitches, as, where I may disagree in specifics, like I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe it's as easy as he thinks it, it is to, um, to, to, to transition to a battery-driven, sustainable, you know, what he calls a sustainable thing. I'm, I'm far, I just don't, I don't see it where I work. But I think, you need, I think you need visionaries to try and propel humanity. And to the extent that he does have a pro-human view, he has to be considered a friend given that the Fed is the Malthusian, the one who wants the anti-human, the one who wants to basically use, create two classes of humanity, one, one that gets to live and the other one that's the one, the other that's cattle that's led to slaughter. So I think you have, I think you, I think you have to take it. Now that doesn't mean you follow him. That doesn't mean you, that doesn't mean you turn him into a demigod, but it does, but it does mean that, and that on the balance of the elites operating, he, he works in the direction that, that I think, think is the correct way i mean even to the extent i mean we didn't quite i didn't quite have time to get into this so i'll say it briefly i mean there's a part of me that wants to buy into the vision that he talks about when he lays out a positive vision and the kinds of the world that we could live in with um you know a, a cleaner world where batteries are storing everything and you don't you know there's not as much smog or things like that there's there's something to that he also recognizes nuclear as well Mind you, he, he always throws that in when he talks about environmentalism as well. So that's another that's another clear signal I would. But I will defer to the reason of I will defer to the opinion of Pete and also say in 10 years, we'll have to watch our back and see where he ends up. So I, I'd have to say friend to, as we wrap up. But I tend to fall on the friend mostly when these conversations. <laughs> you like everybody, LB. You're a nice guy. I am a magnanimous person. So. No, nobody can blame you for that. That's why you keep people like me around. <laughs> Tommy, friend or friend? Um, no, I, I I think Pete was spot on. I, I think I've I've made my point a couple of times. The way I look at it is that at the moment, yeah, I mean, he has the same enemies as me, and uh, I'm not completely against the direction he's aiming at the moment. That doesn't mean in tomorrow or the day after or whatever that he and I are going to be on the same page. So yeah, friend today, dead in five, 10 years. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think that's the best way to look at someone like Elon. You're muted. We can also play the inverse, uh, which is he's a fed today and a friend in 10 years. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we could easily say we I mean, we didn't really touch on the classic Fed um, stuff that usually is talks about Elon that he's taking government contracts that he's in bed with the state to make a lot of his businesses run uh, that his financing he can talk about the WEF and all this stuff all he wants but a lot of his financing a lot of, he's he's one of the points I've always made too is that the elites are always always have a lot more in common with each other than they do with us absolutely uh, and when the push comes to shove if if push ever comes to shove. They're going to band together the, together rather than band with us. There's just no, <laughs> you know, Elon is not going to get any benefit from us 
necessarily. But uh, I don't believe that that necessarily means that that everyone in that group is evil. I don't believe that everyone in that group is, you know, looking at human beings as cattle um, in the same way as, like, let's say, a Klaus Schwab. I, I think you can have, in a room, you can have Klaus Schwab, Elon Musk, and Peter Thiel, uh, and, you know, wh whoever, and have varying degrees, have varying worldviews, uh, because these things aren't connected by, let's say, it's a, it's a very loose ideology, and I don't think a lot of those people in that room uh, you know, other than maybe a few true believers really believe in the ideology anyways. They're just kind of using this as, as a way to get what they want when they want it now, you know, rather than later. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, it's, I, it's, uh, Elon's a, is a tough one, you know, uh, in, with other subjects in the past, you could easy, easily fall on one side and be willing to be wrong with Elon. I think there's a lot at stake with him uh, because like it or not, he is, he, he is moving the conversation and the technology and a lot of these things forward. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important for us to get this one right. Uh, I just don't know if we have enough information to make the right call. But uh, right now, friend is sitting at four, four to one. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to cast my lot in with friend. So we're, we're going to declare Elon Musk a friend, not a fed for now. Uh, and, uh, We'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, you know, I was partly wrong about Andrew Tate, so oh, I, I still stand by my Andrew Tate friend friend vote. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how things unravel. I think, I think Andrew Tate's a retard, and neither a friend or fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still think he's. I still think there's a lot of quality in that guy. That 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 unfortunately he he almost is his own worst enemy in that in that regard. But Anyways, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you to yep. everyone who's watching. Thanks, guys. Uh, always, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to stick around a little bit afterwards and talk uh, off camera, but if we do, we can. Otherwise, uh, we will see you guys again soon. Uh, thanks to everyone out there for liking and sharing the video. Uh, please continue to do so, and we will talk to you all later. Oh, uh, com. Sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, LB, Tommy. Lead us out. Do your spiel. Let, let the people know. If you want to figure out what comes next in politics, go to binawake.com. Join the project for better sense making. You can find me on all social media at the LB Muniz. I mean, I guess if you want to hear what I have to say, go to tommysalmas.com, but I'd rather you go to binawake.com. Tommy's the most humble, most humble among us. Uh, yeah, it makes me look like a schmuck. You are a schmuck. No, it's the hair. No, but that's why I want people to go. That's why I want to go. Want people to go read your website. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> <Can> I, <laughs> once they see that, they can go and listen to zero, the year zero and really hear what the what a conversation sounds like. <laughs> They'll come in and listen.